Welcome to the long-awaited second episode of the Gensider Podcast. Today I'm joined by Dogman, host of a podcast about kickboxing to recap the finals of the Rise World Series. And after that, Pico will join us to recap K1 Rebirth 2. So Dogman, what are your thoughts on uh, on the Rise World Series? Rise have been doing these, you know, Rise versus Glory things for a while. And Glory, you know, their involvement is minimal. They are essentially just loaning out talent. Their guys get paid by, you know, an external source. Uh, the, the name is on it, and that's just about it. Now, I have paid historically far too much money to Glory to watch either shows which they broadcast badly, uh, which are boring, or, you know, all of the above. It would be in their best interest to realize they have a very sparse schedule. They have an organization that put on the best show of the year using their name. If they just send their guys over and say, look, we have a content distribution network. We have IPPV already set up. We'll take some off the top and we'll fill our schedule and we'll syndicate your show and not have just boring trash all the time. Just, Somebody get this stuff out there. It's really fucking good. Yeah, I agree with you. It is. And I think what annoys me the most about it is, like you say, they're not even acknowledging it. And at least they could do some retweeting. doesn't take that much. But yeah, the attention they give it is, is way too little. And I think both Rice and Glory could get a lot from just basic PR um, from Glory's side in this case. Well, Glory's uh, basic PR at the moment is very funny because they want to like show clips from their shows, which, you know, are often not that good, but they also don't want to show the interesting stuff that happens. So you get like a tweet that says, you know, the, the 400 pound guy is leaving no doubt. And it's just this like fat guy shuffling around in a moment in which nothing happens in a fight. It's this really odd tightrope walk that they completely fail at. It is a little bit weird. Um, I'm not sure if either, like, even K1 and Rice, they both share pretty much the entire event on YouTube a couple of weeks after. And even after, during the event, they, they post the finish and stuff like that pretty quickly. But yeah, like you say, Glory, I don't really see the... Um, when they do the PR stuff, they do leave out a lot of the good stuff. I feel like it's just a little bit random or they're trying to kind of coerce you into buying the uh, the card so you can watch the actual stuff. Yeah, but... I mean, that that's the thing. And like their, their last pay-per-view where the signal was just all screwed up and you couldn't watch anything for half the show and they didn't broadcast the first fight... That was kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Like, I've actually enjoyed some of their shows. I thought the one where, as funny as it was, when when Overeem beat Badrhari, I enjoyed that show a lot. I paid for it, and I thought, you know, I'd continue paying for this. And then I paid for a, a non-collision show. It was bad. And then I paid for the other collision show, and it was bad. So I'm just kind of done with them. Yeah, uh, I, I have had the same experience with them. I think the first card I bought, might have been a couple of years ago and I distinctly remember saying I am never buying a glory card again but then a couple of months later I, I did end up buying it and it wasn't that bad and it's a familiar experience like I, I've said I will never give them money ever again probably about five times now 
And I, I wonder, since it happens to me and it happens to you, I do wonder how many other fans have that exact same experience, which I would assume well, for Glory is that that's good. exactly what is happening with Pierre Andurand. Is he's saying, okay, this is it. I can't give you guys any more money. And then, you know, two years down the line when they're bankrupt again, he says, okay, here's another 10 million. <laughs> that would be a, a great way to portray it in a very metaphorical way uh, for the company. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they how they're they're gonna fix that or if they're willing to fix it. But yeah, the glory and rise thing that should be like free real estate if they want to capitalize on it, since they do have other people doing brunt of the work. Yeah, especially since you know one of the motivating factors behind this is almost certainly the fact that Petch is boring. People do not like watching him fight, and he just had a fight of the year candidate that he lost. You know, they've been trying desperately to get him to lose in his division. And now they're just acting like it didn't happen. Yeah. Do you know if they use the footage from Rice in their own stuff? Like, when Petch eventually fights for glory again, do you think they're going to use the footage of him getting beat up by Chad Collins? Uh, I have to assume they will not just, uh, you know, memory hole that. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean... Uh... Like, Rise doesn't have the international licensing problems that K1 historically have, but seem to have resolved recently. So, who knows? But maybe they would just prefer not to uh, acknowledge that. Yeah, and I also do think that maybe this event did turn out a bit bad for them with, uh, I mean, pretty much all their guys lost except for, um, well, yeah, all their guys lost, didn't they? Uh, there was one guy who fought, I don't even remember the guy's name, but it, it was one of the fake weight classes, like 67.5 or something. Oh, yeah. the Oh, God, the, uh, the MMA guy. Yeah, but also, like, Kenton Nanbarat, he, he fought somebody who, you know, is theoretically a glory fighter, but not really. So... Yeah, even I heard the guys on Beyond Kick mentioning that he's, like... In the Netherlands, he's a B-class amateur. Well, it was, you know, it was appropriate. Yeah, and I mean, like, Konda said it as well. Just because he's an amateur doesn't mean he isn't good. But I, I, I'm not saying he's bad, but I am saying that Kenta Nambara is, is pretty bad compared to the uh, all the hype and attention he is getting. Well, I remember probably, like, two years ago now, I said that I would like to see him fight, like very low-level European uh, competition. And he is, and it went well, and it was very entertaining. So, you know, good on him. Yeah, I mean, as long as they capitalize on, on him having fun fights, I mean, the last, what, three fights he has had is, have been entertaining in the sense that he's just on the edge of losing them, and then he just gets a crazy knockout. Yeah, so I think... You know, the, the path forward for him has to be through Sina Caribbean. Yeah, that is a dream matchup. But I'm, um, I mean, I have no idea how that fight would go. But I would give the edge to uh, Sina Caribbean. But you never know. He might find a way to uh, lose by winning in a weird way. He could lose by like point deductions. That would not be a new thing for him.
Well, first of all, we have um, Montana Arts, <laughs> which uh, I, I kind of just want to mention because of the name. I don't know if you saw that one, the fight. I I did, and uh, it is one of the contributing factors to um, me falling asleep for part of the the uh, bottom portion of the card. Well, that's a bit sad because the following fights were pretty good, but but yeah, uh, I I get what you mean. I I'd like for her to do well, but at this point. I'm not sure she really has it. She has her father's height, in a sense, but she has no power, and yeah, she's almost losing to people if she has like a 20 centimeter like height and reach advantage over. So, it's not much you can do. To... I mean, like she has the name, and I think it's good if you get your dad to force promoters to put you on cards that you really shouldn't be on, and it's fine. It's nice. She's in an appropriate part of the card. But also, I just don't care anymore. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. It feels really forced at this point. Um, but yeah, I hope she turns it around because she would be a great addition to the... Um, well, I mean, she is a great addition. If she can make her way to the... Well, a little bit closer to the top and, and get her name up there, that'd be great. So since you fell asleep, did you see the fight that happened after this? Uh, Taise Kondo versus uh, Yamashino. I didn't. And in my defense, this was at like five in the morning. Uh, yeah. But I did catch up afterwards and uh, very cool. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on that one? Because that was crazy to me. Uh, so I'm looking and I believe that topology have the uh, result completely wrong. And I'm pretty sure it was Yamashina who won. Yeah, that is correct. So in that case, topology would be wrong. Cause... Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's one of these Kyokushin Kaikan guys who uh, has been sort of plying his trade for a while, very quietly amassing a very good record on uh, Rise undercards. And I think, uh, I mean, obviously, I, I don't remember in great detail this bout, but uh, if I recall, and I'm not mixing him up with one of the other Black Shorts Kyokushin Kaikan guys, is he's got kind of surprisingly good boxing. Uh, yeah, he does, and uh, like you say, the boxing is great, but he, there's just something about the way he mixes it in with his uh, kicks and his knees. Yeah, so I enjoyed that, and uh, he like spineboarded the guy who, uh, for the record, is a different Taisei Kondo to the one that people may have uh, interacted with on uh, Twitter. Uh, but he is definitely not a guy who should be uh, fighting you know, up-and-coming Kyokushin Kaikan guys. It seems to be rough for him, but I mean, to his defense, uh, he did do pretty well until he got knocked out. Like, he, he was doing really well. I had him winning at one point, because I think he dropped Yamashina, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think in the first round, right? So I was blissfully asleep for the next one. You didn't miss much on that. Uh, it's just... yeah. I'm shocked and amazed. He... Goodness. I don't know where I put him at this point. It's difficult to say, especially with him now moving on to MMA on Ryzen on like, what, two weeks notice? Not sure how seriously Actually, I can take his career yeah, at this point. I, I don't buy that it is only uh, two weeks notice. Did you catch the uh, Shota Okudaira versus Taisei Iwago one? No, but I woke up for Huma. Okay, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll approve of that. You did the right thing. Yeah. Um... Biologically. <laughs> which one um so when you went in like when you watched the uh the humor fight 
what are your thoughts on that? Because for me, that's one of the standouts uh, on that card. Yeah, I mean, my my first thought was the guy was, you know, really planning his feet and trying to trade. And it was a very bad idea, but it looked really cool until he got knocked out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why people would do that against a guy like Huma. It's... um. It's bizarre because if there's one thing he does have, it's that just power um, that'll just flatten you out. So it's a bit of a weird choice, yeah, but I mean, he's you know people should have taken uh, caution and warning from uh, all of his knockouts, but you know his fight prior to this with Taiga uh, kind of showed you the success case against him. And had him sort of, uh, you know, off balance, trying to to land the big punches. And instead of taking anything from that, this guy was just like, "Okay, I will fight him at his own game, um, and let him, you know, not overextend, not miss, not chase, just plant and see what happens." And <laughs> it was, you know, all credit to the guy; he's tough as hell. It took so long for him to go down after he was getting caught. Um, so yeah, very enjoyable. Yeah, same. So uh, just looking forward to Humo's uh, next fight. I just hope they don't make him rematch uh, Iwago, who won the fight before him. It's not not something I need. Uh, but I I do know you were awake for the following fight as well, the uh, Koji Ikeno well, versus Musashi one. I want to talk very briefly about you know what is next for Huma, and yeah. so far as I think the first Rise event of next year is gonna be. Uh, Yi Hyung versus Taiga for the belt. And, you know, I, I guess you can't immediately slot him into that because he's very recently fought both people. So, you know, hopefully he gets, uh, I don't know, shoot boxing guy, K1 guy. Yeah, I did talk a little bit with him. Um, and he really does seem like he wants the rematches, but like you said, it's a bit early and I don't think he'll get them. Um, maybe if Iro, like, really loves him they might give it to him, but I doubt it. So I probably it's going to be some shoot boxing guy or a K1 guy. I don't see anyone in Rice really. I mean, who else is there at 60 at this point? Uh, there's Okudaira who just lost to Ibago, a guy he already beat. So that's out of the window. And yeah, I, I don't think I can name another 60 kill guy at this point. No, and I think, you know, as much as it shocks me to say this, I think Taiga is going to win the belt. Oh really? Yeah, I think I think he has beaten the washed allegations at last. Yeah, uh, I don't think he can be considered washed anymore. But I also think I don't know how he matches up stylistically with uh, with a guy like like Lee because he's. I mean, he he punches hard, uh, and I'm not sure. Well, I, I said that when he fought Huma too, um, <laughs> and apparently he can take a hard punch, but. But yeah, the pressure Lee has is just might be too much for him. I don't know. He's a confusing guy. I mean, both of them are, but you know, Taiga has he's had a run of consistency, looking consistently pretty bad. Uh, but the last year or so, he's kind of turned it around, and you know, maybe I'm a believer again. Yeah, I wouldn't blame you. Um, and in a sense, they have kind of had similar careers, don't you think? With all the uh winning and then losing and then winning again 
Yeah, I mean, the thing with uh, Chan Yong is his biggest losses are kind of things that nobody saw, nobody remembers him. Uh, I think he fought Suakim on a Battle of Muay Thai card, um, which was one of their, you know, online pay-per-views that nobody saw. But also it was like a cut stoppage, I think, like a really anticlimactic thing. So... You know, people have seen him have these big wins over the last few years, but people don't remember that he can also have these middling fights. Oh, and of course, he, you know, just lost to a guy who admittedly is a weight class above, but I didn't expect him to just, you know, lackadaisically block to a decision and lose. Yeah, the uh, the Hideki fight was a little bit weird. The only reason I expected Hideki to win is because they fought before, and I actually asked Huma what he thought, and Huma just said, no, Southpaw kicker is going to beat Lee. Uh, that's the only uh, way I knew. But it's like you said with uh, with Lee's fight history. Because I remember asking Huma about this. Uh, and Huma was like, yeah, no, he's crazy strong. He's he's just winning. And then I brought up the fact that he's he was on a four-loss win strike. Uh, four-loss streak before he fought Kazuma. And Huma was just like, wait, what? The guy lost four in a row? He didn't even know. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. And also he you know, it was kind of during COVID. Uh yeah. I don't know if he turned things around, but like physically as a, a strength and conditioning guy, like real top tier stuff. Yeah, I mean I think you're the one who showed me the the picture on Instagram the first time and he just looks shredded and, and absolutely huge. Yeah, his legs look insane. He has, you know, an engine that just goes forever for all five rounds. Um, so, you know, even if in the ring he doesn't always show it, uh, he's, yeah, he's got some real positive attributes. And when he puts it all together, it's it's cool. And that fight with Huma was cool. But, yeah, for some reason, I'm still picking against him. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I still do think I have Lee on that. So um, if if Huma's gonna fight a K one guy, who would you like to see? Mm, well, he's already booked, but who I would really like him to see is actually uh, Yokoyama. Yeah, I think that would be a great fight. But he's busy winning his free crush belt. Yeah, that fight, that crush title fight, is upsetting to me because I think Yuta Matsuyama should should have had that one. Yeah, like, Yokoyama just beat Egawa on a K1 card, you know, he's already been in the spotlight a few times, he's been in the tournaments, he's, you know, he's a guy who is established, he doesn't need to take a step back against, you know, I think there are at least five guys who could beat Takahashi. Yeah, you're And the point of crush is kind of to be, you know, the, you know, you want these 21-year-old guys being your champions, not, you know, just, yeah, uh, it frustrates me. Yeah, would be a lot more fun if uh, if Yuta just knocked him out and then just got rocketed into a into the K one stage. That's a dream. Yeah, right. but uh, yeah, I mean, also he he is young. If they give him a year to properly, you know, develop, that's also cool. Yeah, and uh, I think I still think he's next after Yokoyama uh, beats Sakahashi. Like, there's no doubt. I think that they're gonna make that one next, unless they uh, make some cross organization matchups. Maybe, but uh, I, you know, as much as I love the guy, I don't think he beats Yokoyama. 
we'll see um yokoyama is a little bit i don't know i don't know where to put him at this point his performances are really good when they're good and then when they're bad it's just a little bit like um toma actually at 57 i kind of have them with the uh, same style and then the same outcomes now you have to be careful saying these things because you know who your audience is <laughs> well the one uh, yeah there there is one guy in particular who might not be too happy about that but i i also suspect that uh he knows what i'm saying and on the inside he might agree but yeah i love i love them both um so yeah i don't know yeah i don't know where any of them will go at this point with uh tomo and yokoyama i think they're both a bit stuck in their divisions well, I mean, Yokoyama is going to get, as I said, a free belt. The easiest crush belt to win at the moment. Um, but uh, anyway, we were supposed to talk about uh, Koji Ikeda versus Musashi. Yeah, I mean, wow, what a fight. And those two guys are just insane at this point. Yeah, I like Ikeda a lot. I think it's very unfortunate that, you know... Uh, He's had a very good crush career, had very good crush title fights, uh, but just can't get over the hump in uh, insofar as the, the K1 belt um, against a guy who I do not like very much. Um, but, you know, Musashi has had these fights recently where he seems to forget that he has legs. So I was very happy to see him kick in this one, but I also see that, you know... One, he's he's very young. He is so incredibly young. Uh, so it's it's not really a, a shame or a you know dark spot on his record to lose a fight like this against you know a guy who I think is one of the top guys. Um, but also, you do see that he is butting up against the limits of what you can do in some random gym with some random people. Yeah, uh, like you said, not at all a blemish. It's he's fighting all these. Well, the last few fights, he's fought well, like a crazy good prospect, which he won against, and then they feed him, um, feed him to Ikeda, uh, which I think is way too early because there's almost a 10, 10 year age difference there, and I think Ikeda has shown a couple of times now that if it's one thing he's great at, it's just destroying the young ones. Did it to Nora Aoi and he did it to Matsutani, and yeah, he, um, I don't know, he deserves a better fight at this point yeah so I, I hope they can cool off a little with Musashi uh, you know not necessarily give him build up gimme fights but just someone slightly easier than this well I think you know one of the things I do want to touch on is uh, that he was essentially kicked out of knockout and then didn't sign with K1 uh, but Inrise had the fight that he would have had in K1. It's a very odd career path. <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember you guys talking about that. And um, when I looked into it, it seemed super dramatic uh, in terms of gyms and organizations being that close-knit. Uh, not sure why that's a thing. Uh, seems like it's a little bit out of place. Well, I mean, it's like uh, constitutionally, you know, you sign a contract with a gym 
and the gym signs a contract with the promoter and the the whole relationship has a uh different dimension to it than i think we typically are used to in boxing or um the sport that i will not name um in the west um and it you know the the gym affiliation is a really important thing but also when you have a promotion like knockout which is essentially hanging on by its fingernails um guys who have any kind of power within that uh, organization seem to have a lot of say so um and so yeah maybe not spend too long talking about Husey and uh his political power or <laughs> or lack outside of uh knockout but He's been doing cool stuff, and I hope he gets, you know, a fight outside of knockout this year. Definitely be about time. Uh, I think he's got a lot to prove, and I think there's a lot of guys at that way who want to uh, prove him otherwise. Yeah, and uh, I think of all the people that he is constantly talking about fighting, there is one guy I wouldn't pick him to beat, and there is a guy who at this point I would pick him to beat. All right, and, uh, and who would those be? Uh, well, I think it would be a bad idea to uh, fight. God, I I'm having a senior moment. I've completely blanked on his name. I can, I can see him. I can recall <laughs> conversations I've had about him. All right, the so, rice guy. So yeah, Keisuke Monguchi. Yeah, Monguchi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't take that fight, but uh, do by all means end Gunji's reign of terror. Yeah. Gunji's reign of terror is a little bit it's gone a little bit too long um it's it's it was cool in the start when i thought he was just this crazy volume puncher who could knock people out but now i have realized that he is just a crazy volume puncher who will win by a literal straw decision so um yeah someone should uh, it's, put it's us not out of just our that for me it's how algorithmically perfect he knows the rules insofar as the third round hits he flurries for one minute he gets tired and then out comes the ball kick knowing that it's not going to be properly you know penalized and he gets to catch his breath and then he shoe shines some more and he gets the majority decision or the extra round and it's just it happens over and over and over <laughs> I haven't thought about it that way, but when you mention it like that... The foreigners who come in, they don't understand the importance of kicking a guy in the dick and balls and how you have to time it. Like, don't do it in the first round. Like, if you have an open stance matchup, don't even throw kicks. Like, when you are tired, that is when it comes into play. So, uh, this next part is just a bunch of the... Uh, is it the pitch in the Academy uh, collab that Rice did? Uh, yeah, it was uh, Koyuki uh, Kazuki Osaki versus the guy who... Uh, I mean, that one was cool. Yeah, it was. It was really good. Uh, topology has this down as a very interesting uh, result. It <laughs> says that it was a KO-TKO, but a split KO-TKO. In the fourth round at the uh, third minute. Not bad. I think that goes into the uh, history books as the uh, first result of that kind. Yeah, but Charon uh, Suk, I, I would love to see more of him under kickboxing rules. Um, so, like, yeah, he, he got the loss here, but it was very, very close. And 
Uh, I think he showed that he can connect with a crowd. Uh, incredibly uh, uh, impressive and hard strikes and ability to uh, absorb strikes as well. Yeah, I mean, what, he's only 17 years old, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, completely crazy. Like, uh, Rise have done this a few times. Um, you know, K1 have also done it a few times. You find a guy in the stadiums, you know, somewhere in the tie circuit. You have a uh, talent scout somewhere, and you find a young guy. Like, keep inviting them over. Develop them. Don't just use them to, you know, pad a guy's record. Like, you have something there. Please, please understand that. Yeah, if they can capitalize on, on guys like him, uh, and well, him specifically now, that'd be amazing. Uh, even just... Because I think the way the, that people view the TIE fighters that are brought in these days, it's it's not positive. <laughs> uh, I think there are a lot of people who just think they're cans and easy to beat. But, I mean, Sharon Suck just showed, at least to me, that that is absolutely not the case. Um, so, yeah, I hope they bring in... Uh, him again and then more guys like him because i mean to, to have a fight like that with a guy who was what on on the power pound list it's just it's wild because it was his de debut as well in kick yeah like not only that like uh you know k1 in particular have had a uh shall we say a track record of finding guys from worldwide who they do not want to win they do not want to use ever again and they put them in rules in which they know they are not going to prosper. But Rise has, you know, very few little rule tweaks, which I think are more advantageous to Thai converts to kickboxing. You know, the the kick catching, the the clinch strike, even if it's very limited, I think, you know, I wouldn't call it a a um half halfway between uh, Muay Thai and, and K1 at all, but it is just, you know, a little hint of something that they can use, which they, you know, will will already have in their arsenal. And I think, you know, if you were a Thai guy getting enticed to, you know, come lose in Japan for relatively little money, um, I think, look at the rule set. This is, uh, this is probably the place you want to be. The guy that fought Shiro. And got absolutely destroyed in a couple of minutes. Um, or was it even seconds? I don't remember now, but it was fast. Boon yeah, I, 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 you know, Boon Long, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I've come around on Shido. I was a Shido hater, um, but I love the guy. And he has, you know, these fights every few years where he has a very quick knockout or a very cool knockout. Like, uh, was it Tizelek? He had yeah. kicked. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you don't love Shiro at this point, then go to hell. Totally agree with you. Shiro is the guy that brought Karayvan back to kickboxing for uh, about one fight. So that means He's a lot Japanese to you. He's Jesus, basically. All right. So yeah, the next fight is the one we touched on with the uh, MMA guy beating Ryota Nakano. Don't have much yeah, to say about that. Fine. Uh, Sena versus Tessa Dacom. I thought Tesla.com would actually get the win there, but seems like Sena was a yeah, little bit too big. Me. Yeah. I just kind of assumed, you know, uh, well, one, we have to talk about the fact that, you know, there are some, shall we say, fraudulent champions in K1, but uh, Rise 
have had one of the most fraudulent women's champions ever in Manazo Kobayashi. Somebody who I actually like, but she did not win her belt and was champion forever and consistently losing. So uh, I had kind of, you know, it's unfair, but I just assumed that Tessa was going to win because she was, you know, not from this circuit and would just be better. And it was not the case. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, agree with you there. I I I thought that Sena wouldn't have anything for her, so this was a big surprise to me. But I do think, if I'm not entirely mistaken, uh, was it did Tessa move up for this one division, or was it the other way around? Because she beat Monoso right at um wait is it Straw? What's Adam? Wait. And this was at straw, yeah. Okay, yeah. Couple kilos up. And I do think, um, well, I know some people did mention the size difference, explaining why Sena might have gotten the decision, but it was a close fight. Uh, and yeah, I hope, like you said with the earlier, uh, with Sharon Suck, I just hope they keep bringing Tessa back because she deserves it. And out of all the women fighters that I love to watch, uh, she's one of them. <laughs> Maybe the only one. Yeah, and I think it is very important to have these things on these big cards. Uh, not just that, like the the lack of opportunity for the female fighters. Um, it compounds if you just don't have these these spots, and if you don't have enough people in a division. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be bad. You just have to keep giving people opportunity, and then it sort of develops. And I think. Uh, you know, with, with the previous, um, what did they call them? The, the girls power brand, uh, yeah. stuff like that is very necessary. Yeah. Uh, and they did with Manaso and Sena, at least they're putting the champs on here. Uh, hopefully though, um, they will put, cause like you said, with the girls power thing, I think a lot of those fights are pretty good. So they don't, they shouldn't be put on a card entirely made for women because I doubt that they get them a normal amount of views. Um, no, they so yeah. don't, but I, I mean, the, the point of those is if you have, what, 12 numbered shows a year, maybe six big shows a year, that's 18 cards. And at most you're seeing like three women's fights on them. Then yeah. mathematically, you just don't have enough there to have proper divisions, to have proper movement, to have talent development. So you know, you need these these things where there are just all women's fights, um, but also to, you know, use that as a, a springboard to have something on a card like this. Yeah, that is fair. And maybe they also use this as kind of a, a pinpoint on seeing who's who's able to draw and who isn't. I got to admit that I haven't watched the last one, actually, but I did watch the uh, the one that was last year. All right, so we already talked about Nambara. I guess we can mention uh, Khan Nakamura versus uh, the guy called Ahmed Akudad. Sorry if I butchered his so, name. So can we talk just very briefly, um, who are Khan Nakamura's last two opponents? God, he's been given to uh, two foreign guys in a row, hasn't he? One guy that almost broke his arm, and then they just stop the fight and then this yeah, guy so he he beat Naoki 
and then he was suddenly propelled into the same dimension that Minoru lives in. Very <laughs> unusual. So I think they understand what they have with him. He is a weird one. He's in my mind. I kind of have him pegged as like a, a heavyweight. It's got like he's explosive, has power, and he has cardio that lasts for a couple of minutes, and then he's just done. And his fights seem to go the way of uh, well, cruiser fight level. Yeah, but it's interesting because he, you know, he technically has one of their belts. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, in my mind, I really wish they would have just made Khan versus Yaman like a rematch again, because I do think that'd be a great way to just give Yaman a actually like real belt. But here we are. Uh, what what belt does he actually have? Is it the World Belt or is it the Rise Belt? Because now they have both. I, he has the Rise Belt. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, Sixty-two. Yeah. God. Yeah, do they have a world champ at that weight yet? They do not. Hmm. So, I mean, that'll be pretty funny, right? Like, finding uh, an actual world-level guy and then putting him in a five-round fight with Kan Nakamura. That would be... Uh, I Yeah, that'd be crazy. I don't know how they would do that. It seems like a bad move for them after all the energy and time they have put into making Khan an actual hype train and star. Exposing him like that would just be mean. Uh, which I guess is why he's fighting guys like uh, this and the previous guy. Yeah. Uh, I gotta admit, though, that I had Khan pegged as a pretty elite guy up until this fight. Uh, and this fight just proved to me that he's not capable of adapting. And every time he fights a guy that's a little bit bigger than him, He's just in massive trouble until he pulls out the Hail Mary KO. And it looked cool, but uh, am I being unfair here? Or uh, does he seem like a guy who is uh, mentally not all there? Um, <laughs> I mean, I do think he seems smart in terms of uh, matchmaking and just being able to uh, get attention. But in the sense of uh, I'd hire the guy to work for me, I would absolutely not. Especially given the content of his post-fight speech. Steroid fight with Kimura? Uh, I thought that was a genius level move. Yeah, it is. Um, but then you have to you know, reckon with your promoter and the Phillips promoter. Um and then, you know, the press and say, yes, I am proposing a steroid rules match. <laughs> yeah, if anyone was going to say that, I guess it would be him. The only thing uh, I think would stop that is um, Kimura just trying not to pop again. But I also do believe that if they tested Khan, he might pop. Oh, yeah. So well... maybe this is just him trying to uh, stay safe. Well, I, I think the lady doth process too much. <laughs> well, on the point of Jack guys, uh, let's talk about a guy who who isn't entirely jacked for his weight class uh, with Kaito at 70 still. No, I, I'm convinced that Kaito is taking many, many steroids to look the way that he does. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wish he would. 
I wish he would take them, but no, he's uh, cleanest looking guy I know. No, I think he should be forced to. I think he should, you know, when he's in the ring, they should like shoot blow darts full of uh, testosterone at him. Just give him one hour with Philip to, to show him. Uh, no, I, I mean against his will, you know. Well, like like tranquilized darts, but full of steroids. Well, uh, Babalu, we have a job for you. Just have to call him, and then at the next event, we'll feed him a bullet dart, and he'll get the job done. Uh, maybe we can find someone who is not on a visa. <laughs> well, Karayafan, we don't even have to fly him in. But yeah, uh, James Conde, uh, very late replacement for, uh, wow, this was completely unforeseeable. Yeah, uh, it's kind of surprised that he took it because according to uh, the people that know more about me uh, about European kick, James Conley is actually a pretty good guy. He's like what on a nine win streak, no losses. Yeah, uh, you know, Baba thinks very highly of him. Um, he's, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend that I saw all his other fights, and you know, it didn't go his way, and it didn't go very his way very quickly but the fact that even with you know two weeks of preparation that he stood up after the second knockdown i think it shows you one the kind of guy that he is but like two uh we have to talk about why this fight was made right we do uh if we don't some people are going to be very upset like i know that it sounds very unfair when i say this because uh, you know, the average guy on Reddit who, you know, you speak to them about kickboxing, the, uh, the, the conception hasn't changed since 2010 is that K1 is dead, uh, kickboxing is glory, or, you know, more recently won. So, you know, complaining about an information bubble in Japan is, you know, there are information bubbles everywhere and people are, you know, maybe not the most savvy. But if you are a promoter, uh, in a region with notoriously strict immigration rules, just Google Muhammad Jiraiya. Just like search the guy's name before you try paying him money. I thought, yeah, I thought the moment I saw that announced, I thought there's no way this is going to happen. At some point, someone's going to find out that the guy is actually what is he actually charged with something still, right? He's like, on bail isn't he yeah he's he's been charged he is awaiting trial but you know it's not like he's awaiting trial for tax evasion <laughs> yeah uh this is a weird one but i mean it did give us some uh, some good things to talk about and i do know that it made uh, a certain trash man happy it was very funny the day that it was announced, and it was even funnier the day that it was cancelled for uh, various circumstances. Um, it's a, a euphemism I am very fond of. <laughs> I wonder how they found out. Do you think Jariah made it to the airport and they're like, oh, wait a minute? Or do you think someone at Rice actually just went on Twitter and saw one of us basically say something and then went like, oh, shit? Like, uh... 
I wasn't even sure that they were telling these guys that they were booking them, honestly, because, you know, a guy who was in the fight just after this one was previously booked for a Rise show, and there was, like, no indication that he was ever going to be in that fight. And then, he, you know, it did get cancelled and he pulled out. So I just felt like, you know, maybe they send them an Outlook invite and they just, you know, accidentally logged on to a Gmail account from 2012 or something. But like, no, they, you know, people sat down, you know, wrote contracts, signed contracts, made promotional graphics. Um, and at no point did anyone think, you know, uh, being charged with, you know, alleged uh, gun and drug trafficking would be a problem in Japan. <laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, it does seem... Uh... A bit bizarre for this to happen in a in, in what I would call a uh, an A tier organization. It sh shouldn't happen. They should. I mean, it's not like they book a lot of foreign fighters, so being able to look into the ones they do book should be uh, shouldn't be that much of an issue. But here we are. Yeah, but I also think. Um, did you watch the opening VTR? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. Did you notice anything about it? Uh can't say i do so i'm not sure if there is a copy of this anywhere but if uh if you can find it and watch it again uh a lot of people have narration recorded to announce their names and then there are like five fights that had nothing just blank silence <laughs> so i think a lot of this stuff was you know kind of last minute and i think kaito is kind of notorious for uh booking a lot of fights very frequently and I think he may have had, you know, some understanding that he wanted to be on this card, but I don't think it was necessarily set in stone ahead of time. Yeah, that could make sense uh, when you think about the, the way they do announce things in Japan, because they do have a lot of guys where they would just say like, hey, we're going to put this guy on this card, and they do not announce who he's fighting until like a month before. So, yeah, yeah probably so, on something there. That's that's one thing I have to actually, you know, one of the rare things I have to praise K1 about is for all their massive disorganization, they're actually very good at, you know, letting people know that they have fights ahead of time and giving them like six weeks to train for them. Uh, yeah, I can't recall K1 having the same issues that Will Rice, uh, well, the same things that a lot of the other orgs do with the uh, short bookings. Well, I think in this case, it would be very hard to find an analogous situation outside <laughs> of Holland. Probably right on that. Yeah, but in terms of his performance, I mean, he he, he performed better than I thought he would because the way he did it was it's wild. Even if Conde was like on, what, short notice? Yeah, knocking him down like that is just crazy to me. I don't know that it was crazy. Uh, I think, you know, he's uh, a guy with all the talent in the world. But, um, you know, I don't know what to take away from this. Uh, Kaito is very, very good. James Conde didn't get to show much of what he's about. And hopefully he is, you know, compensated for uh, stepping under the guillotine for this one. Definitely, and uh, credits to James Conley for just showing up and, uh, and finding like a madman still. And to the guy on Twitter who claimed that 
he lost because of the jet lag, I think you're doing James Conn a disservice as well. So that guy is very interesting. Um, he's got kind of a, a Jean-Claude Van Damme thing going on. He's uh, he's So I'm aware that half of Belgium speaks French and the other half does not. But uh, you know, for an, an alleged Belgian, he seems to be um, quite nationalistic or at least uh, hmm, against a certain nationality, perhaps. Yeah, uh, I mean... The guy just doesn't like people drinking magic obelix potions. And I think that's that's uh, fair. I'll I'll allow that. So the next can, whoever manufactures the magic obelix potions, um please, please uh look up some Japanese cruiser weights. Like uh they could do with it. Yeah. Uh and also please do hook up Kaito with it as well. I know you're yes, they have yes, the chance. Absolutely. Uh, well, they might as well hook up the next guy too, Taiji Shiratori. Um, I don't know. I don't. That fight was a little bit weird to me. Uh... Yeah, like he he got the knockout, uh, and you know he's got a very nice highlight out of it. But uh, Zuguri looked awful, quite frankly. And I know he's been out of the ring for quite a while. Um, he, you know, as as previously mentioned, had this fight booked by Rise previously and then pulled out. And I don't know what he's uh, been up to the last few years, but yeah, wasn't terribly impressed and felt kind of sad watching it happen. Yeah, because you know his his old shoot boxing uh, fights, you know his uh, previous uh, stints in Japan, very cool, but a very long time ago at this point. Yeah, actually, that's before my time. So all I know about Sugar is it's things I've heard uh, from you guys. So I was kind of excited to see this. And I mean, to me, as a new guy watching him, I thought he did fine. Um, but I'm not sure if I attribute that to him being amazing or just Taiju being Taiju. Because despite winning by KO, he did not look good this fight. No. Uh, and I think... I think his uh, confidence has been, um, you know, dented by uh, the brutal no contest that he took in France. Definitely. Um, I don't know if Taiju is ever going to be the uh, the hype train that he once was. No, he's he's not the guy. And quite frankly, his, you know, his biggest accomplishments were, you know, knocking out Genji, uh, you know, in, in hindsight, in kickboxing, perhaps not all that uh, magnificent. And uh, I believe he won a Ryzen belt by uh, beating Koji. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the first time I saw him was in Ryzen, actually. Uh, and I, yeah, it was against Taiga too. Uh, and I was a Taiga fan at that point. So that was a bit upsetting. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, he's he's a fine fighter. Um, he you know has a certain fan base. Uh, he can get on a Netflix show. He's just never going to be the guy, and that's fine. Um, so, you know, hopefully they can book him against people who are you know active fighters, um, and he can still have a career. But he's just very clearly not the man. Yeah, if he can pivot his career into being. Uh 
kind of a, a handsome yaman drawing people with the power of being handsome rather than uh, well yeah concussive brain trauma I think uh, I think you're right I think also he's you know he's been progressively moving up in weight right and uh, he just doesn't have the power or you know the physicality to uh, you know I mean this is the same weight class as Kento who you know, does take strength and conditioning very seriously and might be shorter and squatter and have had, you know, a couple of fights with him, but he's just not gonna Yeah, he's he's shown his ceiling. And again, that is that is fine. You can be that guy. Uh but I just there are, are people that you you know you have and there are people that you want to have. And I think, unfortunately, promoters will try and fit a square peg into a round hole. And I think that would be quite bad for Taiju if they, uh, you know, go back to giving him fights like he had in France. So I, I hope that, you know, he can have a nice career and not get knocked out too many times doing it. Yeah. As long as they don't keep pushing him towards a, a, a title or champions, I think he'll uh, still be... A fun guy to watch and, and definitely used to draw so uh, it's yeah whenever he's on a card I, I do get a little bit excited so the next fight Haraguchi versus Vidalis this one was really good yeah so I mean two things I have to, to say here are first of all you know Kento got dropped in the first and if he didn't knock out Vidalis the way he did uh in that sequence like everything he did except the knockout during that sequence looks awful like if uh if that was just a clip you saw and it didn't end in him brutally brutally winning the contest you would say what the fuck are you doing but <laughs> because he did it it's cool i you do have a point i, I haven't thought about it that way i was more in the uh, oh what the fuck that was awesome uh, group but but yeah he, the fight, I, I mean, I know Vidalis is ranked highly in glory because he was what, the number one or number two, if I'm not mistaken. So I knew he was good, but I also thought that Kento would just blow him out of the water, uh, which he didn't do uh, as much as I'd like. I think, uh, you know, Kento has an interesting style and... Uh... Uh, Karate Pathfinder has has talked about him falling in love with his hands, and it's true. But also, you know, the fight before this, we saw him against uh, Boy Nazarov. Yeah, where he doubled up on the body kick. Like he's got some really fantastic technique, and he puts it together in ways that sometimes do not look fantastic. And when you put him up against, you know, Pech Panamrong, it just didn't work out for eight rounds. Uh, he, you know, had a, a flying knee, and that was about it. But you know, when it does work out. And it seems to, uh, you know, have done against the, the more uh, Western style of kickboxers who perhaps haven't come up against a guy uh, with his particular style. Uh, very, very, very fun, entertaining stuff. Yeah. The thing with Kento for me is, uh, I, I mean, it's normal to read a lot of fighters on how much they develop between fights. And I can never quite tell if Kento is getting better uh, between the fights because he just shows up looking different, but I'm not sure if it's better. 
but like you said, the last fights he has had, especially the Boysner one where he was just well, yeah, a kicking machine, was uh, that's a point where I thought, okay, well, he's actually made good improvement this time. And then he shows up to the Vidalis fight again and just kind of looks a little bit troubled until he won. Yeah, so I, I don't know what to take out of this other than he can produce cool knockouts and he was willing to, you know, keep his hands low to draw this out. And, uh, you know, even after taking a down, which, you know, in a three-round fight, very brave stuff. And it worked out for him, so it was very cool. Yeah, um, so I guess Kento Haraguchi... I think he's gonna make it up to the top again because him versus Collins is gonna be amazing. Um, not yeah, sure. Yeah, so I mean, that is, you know, very obviously their their best case scenario. But also, you know, we we spoke about the um, low information space, and Kento very famously said that he wanted a Bellator kickboxing belt. Like years after that, it was very clear <laughs> that they were dead. Uh, do you think he? Do you think he goes immediately for the rise belt, or do you think he really wants that glory belt first? Oof, that's a rough one. I actually wouldn't be surprised if he goes for the glory belt. I I think he is obsessed with Petch. Yeah, like it. It seems like that is uh, more likely to be first on his list rather than you know a fight that he could. Uh, possibly win for a belt that I would say at this point has equal standing. Yeah. And it does free shot up for the uh, the normal 65 uh, belt, which is vacated at this point. Yeah. Complicated picture, huh? Uh, so, I mean, does, does Chad go for the glory belt? Like, what happens at this point? That is also does seem pretty likely <laughs> so i don't know i don't know what they're gonna do here it's a yeah it's super awkward when you put it like that yeah so as as cool as it is that it happened uh the promotional entanglement uh makes it very complicated unless they were to take my suggestion and just syndicate the rise shows yeah I'm yeah hoping the if anyone in glory and rise are listening to this, please listen to Dogman. He uh, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, mo holes. If you're out there, please listen. <laughs> All right. So yeah, uh, Collins versus Patch. Wow, I I did not expect the fight to go that way. No, I was surprised at this from multiple angles. Um. First and foremost, uh, it was really, really, really good and entertaining, which is, you know, unusual if you've seen a five-round Petch Panamrung fight. Yeah, unfortunately, I have. And it, it was the once against uh, RVR. Ooh, yeah, okay. Uh, but the other thing that surprised me is uh, I have never seen the point and open scoring, uh, it tends to really deflate, you know, uh, about that's kind of going one way. 
uh, or as it has been previously used in Japan. Uh, if you go back and watch um, Mike Zambidis versus Chahidullah Del Hajj, uh, they had open scoring for that bout, and uh, they render a completely mathematically impossible decision so that it can go to an extra round. Like it just, it either doesn't matter or it actively interferes with the fight. And this is the first time I've ever seen that I would say that open scoring actively enhanced the fight. So, you know, I expected the first round to just be all the rounds. So it was clear that, you know, Chad just didn't have what it took. He loses the first round and nine. And you see him storm back in the second and he tries his heart out. And then you're waiting, waiting, waiting. Like, has he done enough? And then it's two two judges scored a draw. And I think, think about like, no, he just doesn't have the extra gear to, you know, go and nudge that 10 10 to a 10 9. And then he does it. And then it goes into the fourth round and you see the scores and it's even. And so it all hinges on the fifth round. And you're you're waiting, waiting, waiting to see. What happened in that fifth round? Did he do enough? And I, I, I just loved everything about this. For me, this is probably my fight of the year. And considering what a cantankerous complaining bastard I am and how much I complain about Petch, I think it's a miracle. And <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm blown away by this and uh, just very, 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 very impressed by both guys. Yeah, the heart and grit that Collins showed in that fight just blew my mind because I always, I knew he was durable and I knew he was strong. But I didn't know that he had this in him. Like that was a performance of a lifetime, uh, especially against a guy like Petch, who is, uh, as many people have claimed, one of the best to ever do it at that weight, if not the best. Uh, just yeah, insane performance. Yeah. So like I might complain about him, you know, maybe not being always the most entertaining. But we, as we've seen against, you know, Kento just running into him like a brick wall. He's very good at what he does. And to see, you know, that first round, I was convinced that there was nothing more than that. That Chad was done, and there was just going to be four more rounds of that. And yeah, just what a pleasant surprise this fight was. Yeah, turned me definitely turned me into a, a Chad Collins fan. As much as it hurts me, because yes. at this point I have way too many guys I like at the same weight classes, so I'm in for a bad 2024 in terms of that. Um, well, I, I hope that instead of uh, doing any of the stuff that we talked about with this, you know, difficult promotional entanglement, maybe maybe Kaito can just move back down and rematch Chad. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'd be up for that. Uh, and knowing Kaito, who doesn't turn down anything, apparently he'd probably be up to it as well. Same for Chad, who's fighting, what, five times here in kickboxing and Muay Thai, so. Yeah, I think he, he fought like a few weeks before he had this fight as well. Yeah, I think he, a couple of weeks or, yeah, three weeks between, I think. This is also insane. I just hope they keep my uh, Yaman away from him. I don't need to see that. I don't think anybody needs to see that. <laughs> well, maybe I will change my mind eventually. I do think it would be uh, an awesome fight as long as they uh, basically disallow kicking. All right, so let's touch on the main event too. Uh, the final of a uh, pretty long but good tournament with... Uh, Toki versus Kumandoi. 
Yeah, so Kumandoi broke my heart by knocking down Shido with a very, very cool, uh, you know, doubling up. Um, and I was kind of trying to convince myself during that fight that maybe Shido had done enough. Maybe there was just enough, you know, uh, Japanese nationalism to uh, swing an extra round. But no, Kumandoi, I was very impressed with him in this tournament. And I feel like he was also kind of unlucky in this bout like taking the down that he took. Um, you know, he wasn't massively shaken up by it, but this happens all the time. You're on one leg, you get hit in the head, you go down very momentarily. And I kind of talked myself into thinking maybe he's done enough for the the extra round. But throughout this tournament, uh, Toki Tamaru, tremendous fighter, like very, very, very good guy. Great year. Um, he's kind of had the same... Uh, well, I wouldn't say the same career arc as Taiga, but, you know, he's a try-hard guy. And I say try-hard as in the gym, not he's a try-hard. Um, he's, you know, he's had his his uh, peak, and then he's had his valley, and now he's he's back again. Um, I remember saying when K1 uh, instituted, I think, their 53 KG division that I didn't think very much of it, and I thought that Toki was better than all of them. And then Toki went on a losing spree, and I was kind of like, huh, maybe I'm wrong. And now he's, you know, moved up after, you know, moving down. Uh, I think what a, what a tremendous year. What a display from him. Yeah, for me, it's like the, uh, it's like a career resurrection from from Hellbit. I mean, it's, it's crazy the way all the fights he has had have been against, like, extraordinarily good guys. And he's just been winning and winning and winning and, yeah. Really excited to see where they're gonna put him in uh, in 2024. Yeah, I think at this point, probably not a bad fight to be made with the guy. Not at all. Um, I also want to touch on on a fellow uh, name person, Jin Mondokoro. Where do you put him after this year? Because he's also been on a, like an absolute spree. Yeah, I mean he. You know, he performed a public service and uh, retired Kazane, right? He did. Retired his old friend. Yeah, so, I mean, you get props for that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he's, uh, it's, it's complicated. He's been winning for quite a while. I mean, he, you know, he beat Hanaoka, a guy who I've spoken about previously, uh, I think is is very very talented. Like got that one back. Um, yeah, I I don't know what you do with uh, all of these guys, but just ah, uh, don't put another tournament on, but put on a year of title fights. Yeah, just more consistent title fights. It's gonna clear a lot of things up in in some of these confusing divisions, and they're stacked. So yeah. just letting yeah. the rank guys fight it out is good too. Rise does very well is, you know, even though they are now, I don't want to say muddying the water, but they're trying to stratify their belts. So you have the world titles and the regular titles, but they're very good at not keeping these, you know, divisions on ice and keeping very consistent uh, scheduling in the Karakun Hall shows. So, yeah, I think uh, I, I hope that they can have a few sellouts and get these guys very regularly, you know, putting this thing on a schedule. Okay, so on to the K1 part of the podcast. Shall we uh, introduce somebody? 
Oh yeah, we got Pico joining us. One of the uh, greatest guys in the kickboxing scene. Uh, very important figure. The engine behind Beyond Kick. You're at, uh, what, 90% of their articles? Well, we got some new guys who are pitching in quite a bit now. <laughs> well, nonetheless, I think you do a lot of work. Uh, and Wikipedia as well, which is uh, amazing. Whenever you, you're yeah, wondering and you're on looking up territory. Yeah. So if you look up a fighter, Kondo or Pico probably informed you about everything worth knowing about the guy. Exactly. I don't really I don't really watch fights. I just read I just read Wikipedia. <laughs> well, uh yeah, Shoki Kanada versus Dalsam. What do you guys think? We can go with the dogman first. So we talked about uh Gunji's reign of terror. Um so, you know, Gunji's fight was a Gunji fight against Dalsam. Uh Canada just blew the doors off him. Uh very, very, very impressive. Uh he's also, you know, the guy people may have for forgot at this point. He dropped Subakihara, what, twice? Um so he I wanna see a lot more of this guy and I wanna see a lot less of Gunji, and this was very cool. Yeah. It's uh agree with you on that. I feel like they hid the guy on, on Crush for too long. Uh, just those two fights he had, they were good in Crush. But I think you also you could tell that the guy was just ready for, for more. What about you, Pico? Well, I think if Taito Gunji doesn't fight Ryusei next, that Shoki Kaneda has definitely profiled himself as the next challenger for the title. And uh, yeah, the way he beat Subahara was extremely impressive. He dropped him, I think, once in the second, once in the third round, something like that. But a lot of his hype died down well among the more hardcore kickboxing fans because of that uh, Wolling Tank performance he had uh, back in uh, April, right? Where he went uh, basically life and death with uh, Liu Zhipeng, which Liu Zhipeng isn't very, a very well-known name. So uh, yeah, that wasn't really impressive. But yeah, um, of all the guys currently in K1, Shoki Kaneda should be like uh, the next challenger. I mean, unless K1 brings in someone outside like uh, Ryusei, you know? Yeah, but what do you think the odds are that they do make that fight versus giving Gunji another foreigner? I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on how invested they are in Gunji and building him up, but I don't think... Gwonji will really impress against a foreigner. I think he'll fight the same against the domestic guy. <laughs> you know, both decision wins and all that. Yeah. I also think if you look at some of the other fights on this card, that it's sort of signaling that maybe those days are over or at least numbered. And I don't think Gunji has given them a great return on investment. And uh, they are willing to bring in better foreign fighters now. Uh, and also, you know, uh, Miyata is now basically producing all of the important stuff at K1. He was, you know, within knockout until very recently. It's very clear that, uh, you know, Death Fellow and I forget the guy's name. Is it Yamaguchi uh, who runs knockout or, or at least is bankrolling it? Like, it's clear that they are, you know, very closely aligned with K1. They... Uh, use the same live events company to set up their uh, Yoyogi show. Um, but I think they're trying to extract everything they can uh, in terms of, you know, uh, getting loaned talent, 
and uh, maybe getting uh, you know a boost to their ticket sales. So I think they will stream them along for as long as possible. And then, you know, UCA already has a fight book. So if it's going to happen, it's going to be later in the year. Yeah, they do keep teasing the UCA matchup. So if they don't make it later this year, I will be extremely upset at all the teasing they're doing. Something has to happen with that guy to either shut him up or, uh, yeah, prove that he really well, is so as like big as he all is. Of his fights, all of his fights recently have been at, what, like 59? He's... You know, I don't know what is going on there. Yeah, it's weird. He's but... like changing gyms or something. Gym hopping like that, no? He, yeah, he did hop around quite a, a bit uh, at the start yeah, of this year, I think. Have a good, like, weight-cutting program or something. Like, maybe he'll continue at 57, but uh, once he gets settled down, no? Yeah, I mean, he is still young, so... Chances are he does move up eventually, but... If he could settle yeah, at 57, like, uh, that'd be awesome. K1 talent pool is... Pretty drained as regards to Taito Gunji's uh, challengers, no? Yeah, it is. He already beat Subakihara and they fought like five times by now, if you count professional and amateurs. And Toma lost, uh, Shuhei is gone, Mimi is gone. There's no one else to really accept uh, Kaneda and Ryusei, uh, no? Yeah, the biggest mistake of Egawa's career is moving up. I don't think I'll ever stop thinking that. Well, uh, speaking of moving up, uh, the guy who beat him then subsequently moved up in the next fight. <laughs> Chain guy, everyone's favorite fighter. Yeah, this was a real shock. Like, Yuto Shinohara is the boxing guy. His whole thing is that he's pretty good at boxing. He went in there boxing. Uh, he wore shorts and, you know, uh, homage to... Uh, Oh god, what's his name? Uh shit. Uh Barrera beat the shit out of him. Uh Prince Nassim Hamad. Yeah. You you cannot be the boxing guy. You cannot, you know, focus on boxing. You cannot dress as another boxer and then lose by knockout the chain guy. Yeah, but, yeah, but like uh if you watch you know Kara's fight with Kenta Hayashi, right? He lost in the exact same manner that he lost to Oiva right now. And like the parallels are incredible. He lost in, in the same round, almost in the exactly same minute and second of the opening round. I, or was it the second round? I forget right now. But like the same way they were exchanging the same right cross, the same stoppage. It could be that Oiva just like his team watched that fight, saw some weakness and uh, picked up on it because it was like the exact same knockout. That is a good pickup. Uh, yeah, entirely possible. I mean, Oiwa's gym is pretty, pretty big, and I assume they do have great coaches for that stuff. So, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I mean, the result surprised me, but I wouldn't be surprised if anyone picked it up. I mean, when I was watching this fight, I swear I turned around for a second, and I just hear the commentary going crazy. Then I turned back, and then Shinohara is just lying there. But uh, I have the possibility of uh, Oiva fighting Gyoza next, right? But do we want to, like, <laughs> do we want to see that? One, no. Two, do we think Yoza shows up in K1 again? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Maybe we don't ever even have the chance to see that. 
Well, what, what other option does he have at the moment? Like, one is dead by September, and uh, I don't know if K1 will let him go to Rice. Well, I think two things I will say is, um, like, one, yes, the, the global financial situation has changed. It is much harder to scam people, especially when you have scammed so many people previously. Uh, but also, I think... Uh, in the reporting sphere around combat sports, there are people who like to, uh, you know, they they get an email and it's very believable information. And considering the track record that one has, it is very believable when you get told, yes, the, the money is finally running out. But I think maybe some people uh, will be a bit surprised and they might actually uh, last a little bit longer. To be clear, I'm not saying that things are fine with them. I'm just saying that Lauren Mack has been seeding these stories for a long time uh, and seems to have like a, a pathological hatred of Chatri, which is very funny. Um, I enjoy it, but also I think that maybe it's not going to be as imminent as people think, especially since their model seems to be getting outside companies or nation states to essentially run the shows for them financially uh so dakuten are basically doing their japan shows previously their japan shows were done by dentsu who you know or who the ufc used uh and they had some weird esports tie up with that that sucked that nobody liked um so i think you know they they have a few sugar daddies in the mix here one is you know a uh, oppressive army regime. Uh, two is Dakuten for some reason. Three is Qatar. Uh, so even if the stuff outside of that doesn't work out, I think they still have you know some time on the clock. They do, and I Will think sign new guys like Yoza probably not. Yeah, but I, I guess we'll find out more in well after the event in January. Uh, I I also assume that one are themselves trying to see how that's going to go before they make any huge decisions. They said they wanted to do four events in Japan this year. but I if... thought it was two. Oh, really? Yeah, well, yeah, maybe it's just two. But that seems way more likely because if it's four, I'm starting to think that it's going to be like two or maybe one big one and then they do another one at like Korakon Hall or some smaller one like they have with the... with the uh, when they did the cooperation thing with Shiro and things like that. Or deep well, they also have the option of running two shows on one day, where it's just actually one show, but you sell two sets of tickets. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, like they did with the Century thing. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, Not also, a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, the Tokyo Dome City Hall complex, they're big on doing half-day bookings. Uh, you can do it at Karakuen. Uh, I think Rise have done it a couple times. Uh, you know, K1 yeah. did it uh, with uh, the grappling thing. <laughs> Maybe a little just like a smaller show at the Ota Ward or like the Nagoya Congress Center or something, you know, a few thousand people, nothing major. Do you think Shotry's ego can handle that, losing to a breaking down event? I mean, everybody loses to breaking down in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a fair point on this one, yeah. Can't really argue with that. Um, should we just hop on to the next fight? Riki Matsuoka versus Jomtong. 
Yeah, I think there's only one the thing to say. Muscle actually good. No, no, he still won, but he's <laughs> not good. Yeah, uh, I don't know where I'm putting Riki Matsu. He's a, he's a weird fighter to me. I think he looks pretty good sometimes, and then other times he just loses split decisions to Ayinta Ali. He's not a guy who should be dropping Jom Tong as old and washed up as he is with punches. That is not something that should happen in any universe. What's well, a surprise I mean, for when sure. he started when he started his professional career, I thought he was just like a middle of the road guy. And he goes and beats Tia Yinghua and Yinghua is still good, right? Then he goes ahead and loses like four or five fights from that point on. Then he shows up again and like uh, beats Jom Tong. Like, I'm not sure if he's good or bad or like, what's up with the guy? It's super inconsistent. And and despite him losing to uh, Ampo Rukia, I thought he looked pretty, like, I thought he actually did give Rukia some trouble in that one, despite losing in the end. Yeah, it was like a very valiant performance. And I think, you know, he uh, he was a, a big part of the reason that Noidi won. Uh, but also... You know, as you said, it was a losing battle. It was just kind of this thing where he was never going to win. It was just how long could he stave off losing? Uh, whereas this is, you know, nobody, nobody expected this to happen. Not even him. Not at all. Do you think they bring Jong Thong back after this? I mean, you have to look answer. at her. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a gym guy there. Uh, he... I think he can even go one weight class lower than this if he actually wants to put himself through it. He did mention that he would, you know, like to get the belts 70, 67.5, and 65. Okay. Uh, and, you know, obviously a slight spanner in the works here, but, uh, you know, looking at his other performances, killed Abiral, uh, which, you know, in hindsight, maybe not... Uh, Maybe not the greatest fighter, but still. Uh, and, you know, gave Wajima a good fight. Um, and now this, it's it's very confusing. But he's also in, you know, the divisions where they don't have anybody and the people they do have stink. Yeah. It's a really bit, uh, Ali, like in April or March or something like that, and Ali is still a good fighter. Some would say that. Um... <laughs> Would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, he did. That was a good one, too. But yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's like Dogman said, it's a weird division and a lot of guys uh, that aren't making it easier for us to understand the state of it. But just I mean, rotating end up, It's basically guys with no chin and a lot of power in K1. Yeah. I miss Kimura. So, Bring him back. The uh, the the God, the Mason guy was he at seventy or sixty-seven point five? Oh, uh, sixty-seven point five. Yeah, but he yeah, could well, definitely move up if he wanted to, because that guy is skinny as hell. But I think he should fight Matsuoka because no matter what the result is, one, it'll be funny, and two, it will not matter. Well, that's a good matchup. I think think that would be doable for uh, for Mason, too. 
I don't know if you know this, but Pico and I, we watched Mason on the uh, on the Abama reality show where he showed up to be an MMA fighter. Oh, boy. Yeah. He looked super impressive there, so I don't know. Uh, I think the fact that the, um, on Ganryujima, they made him beat up Al- Albert Cross, I think that just turned him into a striker and he gave up on the MMA thing. Well, didn't he, like, uh, was the ISKA belt on the line? And his, was it about a knockout against some European guy? Uh, yeah, against uh, Jamal Vahim. Yeah, well, he's he's an ISKA champion. He's a striker now. <laughs> yeah, he's got all the credentials. Yeah, he's yeah, a legend and won a belt. No, doesn't really get better than that in Europe, at least. So, no, yeah. Actually, uh, so this is the wrong card, but uh, you know, I have been. You know, there is a, a gradation to ISKA champions, and there is a gradation to weight classes. And you know, uh, ISK have uh, what fifteen champions per weight class, uh, and most of them are vacant, but. I think one of the things the cruiserweight tournament showed me is that uh, one, they are not all made equal, and two, uh, a lot of them are roughly as good as you know, Cena Karimian. I mean, if everyone fights like Cena Karimian, that's going to turn into my favorite division. I guess on the topic of cruiserweights, that's kind of a natural. Uh... Ooh. Yeah, natural slide to the next one. Shota Yamaguchi versus Ryonosuke Hoshi. God, what a weird fight. So, you know, this this comes down to one thing, which is Hoshi is mean to people that he is athletically more gifted than in the ring. And Yamaguchi is mean to people on Twitter. And one of those comes from the soul and cannot be taught. And that is why he won. <laughs> yeah, uh if that's how you win fights, I'm scared uh I'm scared for Yamon this weekend, but Yeah, this part yeah, of the team was... even have any more good guys left at the gym. Like truly elite guys. Yeah, and especially not that size now. I mean, Yoshi Kitake was basically their only like truly great fighter that they had, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, who was the the guy who was a complete bust who kept missing weight? Nakano? Oh, Naka, Nakajima, right? Right. No, no, no. He he makes weight, but he's he's also you know. A oh, bit of a bust. yeah. Um, Kota Nakano, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So. Uh, I think their their track record outside of Take is very not good. Yeah, I mean... Well, they had uh, Chihiro Nakajima there, right? Who also turned out to be a huge bust, like Egawa. Unfortunately. I, mean, I think Nakajima could turn things around. I think he, you know, even in losses up until now... He showed he's got very good technique. You know, he could still be a sort of crush champion level guy, but losing to Takahashi is not not a good thing to to be doing. Like Takahashi is not a guy who should be a, a champion of anything. 
Yeah, what worries me? Is, uh, there now. Oh, really? Um, maybe. I know Konda is really big on him right now. On who? Wait, no, 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 sorry, sorry. Uh, I, I think, think of Chikara Iwao. Yeah, Iwao Chikara, yeah. Iwao is, is cool. Yes. Uh, hope he can we, can we talk about the fact that people go to this gym and they all come out like looking the same somehow, regardless of how, uh, you know, tall, short, muscular or not they are. Like I know the, uh, the Asahisa brothers father gives everybody haircuts. Is there a similar thing going on at power of dream? Do you think the coach just kind of straps the fighters to his feet and just moves around until they know how to, how to do it? No, I mean, is he giving them, you know, grooming advice? Is he, do they have a house style for facial hair? Oh, What's you, going you on? mean that they physically look the same? I thought you were talking about the, the famous Power of Dream footwork. Yeah. Oh, no, you, you learned that by playing Zelda Ocarina of Time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they do, they do, now that you mention it, they do have the same uh, haircut. And then I guess they made uh, knock on old shave so it. Much like okay now. Yeah, maybe they got like a hairstylist on the pay or something. With the with the it's... way K one pays, it's probably one of their side gigs. Well, I know it is for at least two um, fighters under contract, but uh, no, I, I think it's it's a canny move, and I think you know uh, a good haircut is one of the keys to success in kickboxing. Yeah, maybe it's like the army. You show up at the gym, get a haircut, and start training. <laughs> but yeah, but like Kaneko, his he uh, if he wasn't going to be a kickboxer, he was going to be a hairdresser, right? I would let him cut my hair for sure, even today. If that's really his dream, I hope he does it after K one. I know that like oh, maybe that's to be a childcare worker or something like that. Hmm. I don't know if it's a good thing when your uh, K1 champions are dreaming of uh, other careers eventually. Well, I think uh, one, it is not just K1, but two, you know, I, I've I'm trying to find a better word for this, but I think after FEG went bankrupt. There is just a mass deprofessionalization of kickboxing in Japan, and it has never recovered. It's a when when that did that happen, like around what time? Uh you know, two thousand was it two thousand eleven? They they really went like belly up. Like the talent kept getting better and better. They had already instituted Koshien at that point. They didn't run it one year, but. You know, it went from being the people like, you know, admittedly, they did not actually pay anyone and you had to wait several years to get, you know, half of your pay from Mike Kim. But, you know, they were paying guys from abroad to come and lose $20,000. Uh, and now that is, you know, we, we mentioned Hanaoka earlier. He fought in a tournament with elbows in five round fights where the grand prize was five or seven thousand dollars. So yeah. Things things took a bit of a nosedive. And again, it is because 
you know, these financial geniuses were not actually paying anyone, but when you did get paid, you got paid more. And I think that has affected, uh, you know, the, the viability of kickboxing as a career path. Yeah, I think they went, they officially declared bankruptcy in like 2012 or something like that. And they started doing the crash shows like 2014, 2015. So, so yeah, there was like a period between 2012, 2015 where uh, kickboxing was dead more or less in Japan, I think. And the fighters now do get paid uh, less than they did before. Is that is that right? Unless you're the very top guy, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense with the way things are going now, too. I'm hearing that. I'm not surprised at all that people are just flocking, breaking down. I mean, Ali Nota just, he straight up quit uh, crushing K1 and went to breaking down. I don't know if you guys heard. Yeah, don't they, like, not pay people at all except for, you know, specific guys? I don't know. Well, I'm not sure if they... Yeah, and it sounds silly when you just say it like that. They get paid in exposure, but I mean, the exposure they get is massive. They've breaking down. They turned some random dude. Uh, they put him on a couple of fights, and now he's like running a, a successful restaurant and actually living his way through that. Just gave him the crazy exposure he needed. It's, it's wild. Well, the obvious solution is to have Kevin Champs appear in Breaking Down. Then, yeah. I mean, we kind of got that when, well, we had that twice in one fight. Well, Are you talking about the famous champion, Cyril Abidi? Yeah, I'm just assuming he was a champion. I don't actually know if he was. Well, yeah, I have no idea. A runner-up is what Wikipedia tells me. Well, he, he was a champion of knee instability. <laughs> well... Looking at his Wikipedia, he's also a champion of being a runner-up, unfortunately. But yeah, um, guys like him, Ampo Rukia, and then a bunch of other old K1 guys seem to be fighting there, so that's a career path now for both young and old. If you haven't seen his fight with JLB, where he falls down approximately once every 10 seconds, uh, I'm I'm not kidding about him being a champion of knee instability. It's one of the the things that derailed his career. Huh. Yeah, uh, probably should go back and watch a lot of the old uh, heavyweight stuff. Uh, avoid anything between like uh, 2004 and, I don't know, 2009. All right. So Actually, real quick, real quick. I want you to go look up the 2004 K1 Heavyweight World Grand Prix and uh, just, just give us a live reaction what your thoughts are on the names you see. So was this a good one? Is this one of the good ones or? No, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I see. And then this final was repeated. I mean, Bonyaski did actually have some pretty tough fights in that tournament. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's fair. But he did also fight Franz Botha because Peter Arts's leg hurt. Well, Peter Arts was an old man. Peter Arts is an old man. He has always been an old man. I you know, like Franz It was yeah. I, I really hated those years, and you know, people complain about the Hanigawa uh, monster era, as it's known affectionately. 
Um, and yeah, it sucked. I swear I saw Hiromi Amada uh, somewhere recently. Is he? Oh, he, yeah, he, is he one of the guys that had like leukemia? And uh, it was him or someone else had, uh, you know, disrupted career as a result. So he's always doing a lot of like fundraising stuff. Would you? Or I'm confusing him with another uh, heavyweight Japanese kickboxer. No, you're, uh, so, okay, I figured out where I knew him from. I saw him get knocked out on the Breaking Down auditions. <laughs> and this was a few months ago. Oh, the legends go to die. Yeah, he got knocked out by a fat rugby player, if I'm not mistaken. Cool. It was pretty sad. So anyway, where were we? Yeah, uh, so if we go, go to the next fight, it's Miyu versus Lucille Deadman, no, which is just, I don't know. Yeah, I can't recall at all. Well, Miyu is actually the best female fighter of this year. Objectively speaking. Congratulations to Miu on that. We're actually having a discussion about this in uh, like the Beyond King website chat the other day. A lot of the guys are saying like, you know, uh, a tiger a bit Maxon or Prifty or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. That's like one good performance in the entire year. Miu Sugawara, on the other hand, beat a former pound-for-pound contender, right? That's Firepong, won the world championship. Okay, one more championship. Uh, beat Dimitra, something Greek name, I, I won't even try to pronounce it like that, who is a ranked fighter, and then won two more fights that very same year. So she was active, she beat good fighters, and she beat a pound for pound fighter. That's a fighter of the year material okay. right there. Um, to, to interject for a moment, as a you know custodian of Wikipedia, the fountain of truth, uh, do you personally believe that Fayong was a pound-for-pound pound contender, or is uh, someone from on high pulling the strings telling you this? Maybe someone involved in Beyond Kickboxing. Maybe someone with uh, you know a, a fondness for Fayong. It's entirely possible. <laughs> Apparently, she's training with Superbone now. He's changing at the defense, right? uh, like a... Versa, Craig Jean, something like that. Okay. WSR, right? I don't know how to pronounce it in English. Well, I mean, yeah. in general, in any language. She's uh, turning with Superbone now. So maybe she's getting ready to get her revenge and uh, win the K1 title back. Yeah, I mean, credits to her for making changes when something's not working, at least. I mean, the worst, the, the worst bit of news from that particular. Uh, chat I had with uh, one of the guys in Beyond King was that she actually left university fighting K1. Oh, yeah, that's oh, a big no. move. Not a smart one, but a big one. No, you you do the opposite. That's the move. Yeah, leaving university to fight in K1 and then you go on a two-fight loss streak and change the gyms and probably be relegated to crush. Yeah, that does not sound like a great career move. Well, anyway, a couple things to say about this is one, Lucy Deadman, full name. Two, uh, she posted a redacted copy of her contract for this fight, which uh, displayed some interesting <laughs> things. Um, 
there is an extra bonus. It was not very big, but it was, I believe, it was either the, the purse is denominated in US dollars, but the bonus is in yen or the other way around. But the purse, based on the redaction, could not have been more than 1,000 US dollars. Um, which uh, I believe she said it was like the, the biggest purse of her career or something, which, you know, again, speaking about the relative lack of opportunities for female fighters, really sad um but two is uh you know they're, they're bound by clauses in the contract for a year after performing even the you know one and done foreign fighters that they have oh wow kind of surprising yeah, i thought that was just for the the actual k1 guys in japan but if they do that to the foreign fighters as well that is pretty well not good for them i wonder if they um they do pay for coaches to fly over if it's if that's the reason we just see one guy in the corner of most of the foreign guys because if you're just earning 1k doing that that's like a flight ticket back and forth i mean there are bigger organizations in the world that do the same thing pay for one coach and uh, why they yeah, still yeah. have to pay yeah. for the second one but if they pay better at least it's more feasible to bring more even if they only cover one yeah, we can continue with the women's fights. Uh, Saho versus Li Shan Li. I don't have much to say about that. I don't know if you guys do. It wasn't the best fight of Saho's career, but generally I think she's, you know, a very uh, entertaining fighter in these, uh, you know, women's divisions. And I hope that she gets a, a bigger uh, opportunity. Um, you know, I know obviously... Uh, the thing that would have made sense is her versus Kana. Maybe that makes sense still. I don't know. Yeah, and um, I think she does look improved every time she fights, which is pretty good. Um, but it's difficult to gauge against her current competition and, and the way the women's divisions work in general, where there's I don't feel like there's consistency between fights. It's not like you move, uh, you do one fight and then the next fight you face someone better. It's often just everything feels the same to me. Maybe that's just me. I don't know about you guys. I think part of that is they don't do a great job of contextualizing this. Like, uh, you know, if you are, you know, the, the average mid-40s woman watching this show... Uh, you have no idea who Lili Shan is. I have no idea who Lili Shan is. Yeah, same. Uh, you know, I. It's uh, it's difficult if you don't create that context, and the easiest way they have to do that is tournaments, which they have traditionally relied upon. But you know, they can't all the time when they don't have eight people that they can stick in one of these things. So, yeah, hopefully with their you know new focus at least on China, they. You know, can do a better job of communicating who these people are, where they sit in the sort of hierarchy and pecking order. Yeah. If only, yeah, I see her on the record now that she's fought for Karate Combat. Karate if combat, only I right? knew. Yeah. If only I knew, I would have paid more attention. Karate fans worldwide know who she is. Prifty versus Kana. Yeah, I, I thought it was a very good fight. And, you know, uh, I had sort of sniffed this one out a while ago and was kind of surprised. And I, they actually contacted several women, like a couple of weight classes, 
uh, up from Kana. They were specifically looking for someone bigger, uh, which is unusual. And they kind of found, like, one, I'm surprised she managed to squeeze herself down to this weight class. And two, uh, they made a big mistake. Yeah. I think this threw a, a big wrench in the plans that they uh, had for Kana. I don't know what they're going to do with her next. Well, I think it is actually entirely possible that she gets the Mexon fight. I, didn't did Mexon just lose as well? If I'm not is, wrong, yeah, which I think is you know will uh, signal the end of her contentious time being promoted or not promoted by one. Yeah, I mean that would be a good fight. Uh, I think. <laughs> Not sure if it is going to go well for Kana, but one of the better fights to make. No, for I, sure. I think she'd lose as well, but I think she, you know, she's wanted it for so long that, you know, I it kind of has a story there. Unlike again, all of these completely contextless fights. I think what is more interesting is that they are, you know, putting people into these immediate title fights and not doing the, you know, always the non-title fight thing. And what do they do from here? How do they build on this? Yeah, but I do. I will give credit to K1 on, on actually making this a title fight because this did seem like the, the kind of fight that they would just make a super fight for no particular reason. Yeah, but regarding the fight itself, I thought Anna looked pretty bad. Like, the worst she's looked in age since the Kotami fight now. Like, she couldn't cut the ring off at all. She couldn't get her range right. She was whipping on punches, couldn't land any straight shots. And uh, the most surprising thing was that Antonia Prifti was moving down like 5 kilograms, which is like 10 pounds or something, and she was the faster fighter. The faster fighter, the longer fighter, just generally the better fighter, I think. She was able to avoid yeah, the kind more of active, with more cardio. And, uh, yeah, kind of just looked bad, like horrible. Do you think it could be the age catching up to her? I mean, she's, she has had a pretty long career already. She has, but I also think she's always been limited in a specific way. And if she doesn't win by knockout, you know, we, we saw, as Pico mentioned, the Kotomi fight uh, the same, I think. Like, as soon as things don't go her way, it's not like she has a very deep bag of tricks. Yeah, and it's the same in the Knutson fights as well. And uh, also the workers at the end, I thought, were pretty weird. I thought it was three very clear rounds for Prifty. And the final scorecards were 30-29 for Prifty at the end. Mm, I, yeah, I, one, I agree. But two, I think, uh, you know, 10-10s tend to be quite liberal anyway. And I think there's always... Uh, kind of baked in uh, extension round to a lot of uh, title fights in K1 and perhaps they were going that way and then saw how things were going in the third yeah that does seem entirely possible it's kind of the way K1 have done things before so it does fit another weird thing was that the Silver Wolf gym actually did pretty good in general on this card except for this like uh, kind of fight 
I remember seeing Kid in a lot of the corners, so that's why I picked up on the light the roof uh, connection. But I was surprised that they didn't tell her to just like throw a straight punch. It, it was not simple. She was just throwing hooks and weakening her range every time. I just tell her Has to she throw, ever throw a thrown punch. a straight punch. <laughs> it could always happen. <laughs> I mean, when you put it like that in the Silver Wolf gym, um, even, I guess, Kaneko and then, you know, this, this he doesn't throw the straightest punches either, does he? Compared to a guy like, say, Kumura. No, but also, how much time is he spending there? How much time is Kana spending there? They might have official affiliation, but she's been spending most of her time training in America. Uh, I don't think life is very easy for her in Japan anyway. Yeah, probably not. I mean, I, I'm not sure if I spoke about this on uh, a podcast about kickboxing, but like people have said some pretty horrific things about her in the past just based on the way she dresses, let alone the fact that she has, you know, short hair and muscles and know is uh, uh coded in a specific way people were claiming that she was a man because she had short hair and wore a suit once i'm not surprised at all i mean it is japan after all as sad as it is in in 2023 yeah so, so i think being uh, a fighter. i mean you can tell by the way they promote these fighters too if you just uh, as sad as it is to say this out loud if you just look at the way uh like Miyu did grab your photos. Um, that goes for the wrestling Miyu as well. And then you have Panshan and, you know, all those fighters. And then you compare them to Kana. It's no wonder that it went that way for her, unfortunately. I think Rise does a better job of promoting their female fighters in general, you know, instead of just relying on their looks and whatnot. Like for Koyuki, sure. yeah. you know, Hinata, Terayama and all that. They, they receive good, I mean, good promotion. In rise, you know, VTRs, pre-fight packages, and promotional material, which is just like, you know, bring them as fighters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even then you had Erica like being promoted as like a mom, a single mom of three, if I'm not wrong. And then you, yeah, then you have the the K1 where Miu appears like to, where they have this like camera angle where it makes look like she's wearing nothing. Just, yeah, it is weird. I don't know why they do it. Well, I know why they do it. Uh, I could yeah. point out some names, but I uh, I won't. <laughs> but I think also Kana does not have a very good relationship with the promoter. Yeah, you could be onto something. I mean, she there does seem to have been some drama at certain points in her career. Uh, also, that Miyata just went completely nuts on eFight because of a Google Translate error of a tweet from Beyond Kickboxing. Yeah, it's the uh, that's the responsibility you have when you uh, publish stuff, right? You have to make sure that Google Translate doesn't translate it wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't even publish it, and they still apologized. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Like, like eFight translated something, and that was what caught it. But like it wasn't even e-fight. Like Beyond Kick published an article, and the Japanese fight fans used Google Translate to, I believe it was something like Kana signed to one championship. Yeah. And then uh, K1 picked up on it, 
they believed it was eFight reporting it. They asked eFight to report and eFight, uh, they asked uh, eFight to apologize and uh, eFight actually apologized knowing they did nothing wrong. Should we go to the next one? It's also a, a, a title fight. It's the... Uh... Yeah, I mean, it, it happened. You say she just uh, not good enough anymore. Uh, kind of sad. Um, I don't like Kudata's style. Uh, he had that one tournament, which was odd. It's the I'm pretty sure it's the only one they've ever done where they didn't put like the official world title on the the line. They just said, "Oh, it's it's Japan only." Uh, and aside from that, he's just been kind of there. Yeah, I believe the Satari Open Way tournament was also like a Japan thing only. Well, he's in fine company then with uh, the Open Way tournament. <laughs> the cream of the crop. Yeah, I don't know where to. Um, I don't know what they're gonna do with that division now. The Kurora is just beating the people that matter, and then just not looking super convincing or fun so in the post fight interview i believe kuroda said uh, he wanted to i believe fight a foreign opponent for a overseas belt or something like that so maybe they'll bring in an isch and for something at what 53 believe it or not there are actually foreign fighters that are 53 kilograms like the guy they, yeah. they exist. Yeah, I mean the, the fight with the on dash was good. Twenty five thousand ISKA champion. See how <laughs> how low it goes and how many of those are vacant and have been since two thousand twelve. Okay, well, uh, there is Akram Hamidi, which is not going to happen for obvious reasons. Nicholas Rivas, Kazuki Osaki, and some guy called Misael. Anaya from Mexico, and the others are. Uh, there's also Mazentsev. Mm, yeah, I, I just don't see any of those happening, yeah. except Rivas. Maybe seem to have uh, talent scout in France, but what is what is Rivas up to? Who is he signed with? No idea. Maybe Picanos. Well, if you're talking fifty-three kilogram ISK champ. Andriy Mezenetsev is actually quite a good amateur, I believe. So that would be a fight he could go for, but uh, Andre is a Muay Thai champion. And yeah, Hamid is signed to one championship, so that's not happening. But I don't know. Maybe yeah, they bring in Fred Cordeiro. Yeah, the reason I remember Rivas is obviously because of the, the Rise fight, so mm, probably also not happening. Well, yeah. It's sad that Ishii Issei turned out to be a disappointment. I mean, he's still... Yeah, he's still super entertaining, and I know I always show up to watch the guy fight, but he does seem to be completely limited in the sense that just not good enough to win the belt. It's not... I don't think his defense is there. Well, he's also been fighting forever. Yeah, and he fights a lot every year, so... Sad as it is to say, yeah, maybe it is time for him to, uh, I mean, does he do better in, in Thai than he does in Kick? Well, kind of, 
but he, I mean, the best guy he fought this year was Spunktor and he lost that fight. So, I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. About the same. I think he did better a bit in kickboxing than in uh, Muay Thai, actually. Yeah. I wonder why he like, just straight up left Rice after that one loss. You know, the crazy thing is, the guy actually beat, I mean, like 2018, when he was first switching over to kickboxing, like beat Jin Mandokor and Kazuki Osaki. <laughs> that's very crazy to do in one year. That's a, like, that's a good record to have. And then he went back to Muay Thai, did, you know, okay, came back to kickboxing and basically lost to every elite fighter he faced aside from maybe Koji Ikeda. Is he like a title contender gatekeeper at this point? I mean, if he can... I mean, he, he basically said that this is his last run before he retires, so... Yeah. But he does have a fight schedule. <laughs> I think it's actually in the next year's Nadaka Yoshinari uh, event. Maybe. They, yeah, they do seem to be buddies, so wouldn't surprise me if it is. Also, another interesting piece of news is that uh, Tom Akura is planning to open a gym next year. I remember that also from his uh, post-fight interview. With his brother? I'm not sure. But it's like, I think he wants a gym that trains fighters professionally or something like that. Yeah, I mean... You think... Do you think he won put their like weight behind him because he has a story that is you know, uh, similar in drama to Takei's, but is horrifically boring. Kind of, and then also just the tournament run that was crazy. Uh, probably yeah. fooled them, just as it fooled us. I was thinking he's a knockout machine. Same. <laughs> I thought he was going to be... Like, I honestly thought he was going to be one of the like best guys to ever do it at that weight. Because he, he looked unstoppable that tournament. I mean, my favorite thing about Tomakura is that he's the bane of uh, Kazuki Miburo's existence. <laughs> they fought like three times in a year or something, and Kurada beat him every every single time. Yeah, I think Kazuki Miburo has been the victim of some pretty uh, pretty rough matchmaking. Yeah, like Miburo has four losses on his record, and Kurada is responsible for three of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we'll right back actually. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one. Seems like a dogman fight. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Hayato Suzuki versus Toyoki Asakura. He has a left kick. I mean, it works. Yeah, so I don't know who this guy is, but uh, he does not have an answer to a left kick. Um, and so it was very uh, foregone conclusion. I yeah. mean, that Tamurong has ruled the glorious uh, entire division for years with just a left kick. The single best weapon in kickboxing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could say that, but then I I would venture to suggest that uh as much as I love Hayato Suzuki, he is perhaps not as uh technically good as Petch Panamro. I think a lot of the success behind Petch's kicks is everything else he does. And I don't think Hayato Suzuki does those things. Well, you never know. The very next year, Hayato Suzuki could beat Tetsuya Yamato to become a K1 champion. That is also uh, far from impossible. <laughs> Did you guys see him, uh, Yamato, just falling drunk asleep on um, <laughs> on his live stream the other day? Yes, yes. What a guy. What a cool guy. I think um, all proud. champions should strive to be like him. 
he also does this weird Aikido thing. I don't know if you uh, you guys have read about that or seen that. Yeah, I saw that and I, I mentioned it. Uh, and I thought it was him trying to be, you know, wacky as he's in the twilight of his career, trying to get some interesting things to show on a VTR like Keto does. Uh, but if he's still doing it, then props to him for committing to the bit. <laughs> yeah, I saw a clip of, clip of him uh, teaching it to some some strange person. Uh, don't know where, but yeah, I think he's actually serious about it. So um... A strange person in an Aikido class? Well, the person didn't have a ponytail, so that's kind of that's the strange part. What yeah. do you mean, Twilight of his career? He's beating, he's knocking out top ten guys. The man is in his third prime right now. <laughs> Just hope they give him a fight soon. Like a lot of the other guys, I guess, in K one right now, I they need to fight before people forget who they are before they're actually too old. Yeah, like he wanted to fight in December and he actually has like proper management behind him. So the fact that he was unable to is uh, somewhat surprising. Yeah, I mean, wasn't he one of the guys who called out Miata on that? On the ring girl thing? Or Carlos, sorry. Uh, I mean, I remember, was it Wajima did that? But yeah, like several people were not happy about that, but... Yeah, like he's one of your champions, even if it's slightly embarrassing for that to be the case. Like, uh, keep him on side. I mean, keep him on side or just feed him to someone you know will beat him. As hard as that might be at 65 these days. Miyosawa. I'm going to pretend I did not hear that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I guess we kind of already covered Mason. Um. Yeah, looking like a, a kickboxer, allegedly. Allegedly. Well, I mean, he has a belt more than a lot of other guys, so he's a pretty, like you said earlier, he is a legit kickboxer now. He is in yep, the welterweight division, after all. I mean, he he does have a belt more than one of the guys in the next fight. Am I allowed to say this? Do oh, I have to bleep this out? Low blow. Yeah, I don't know what you do with Toma at this point. Uh, man, he's he's so talented, but it's just not working out. Yeah, he's one of the most talented guys for sure. Uh, super technical. Uh, he has the KO power, um, but he just seems tentative at this point. I think he needs a real like a couple of tune-up fights to get the confidence back because. His last fights have been insane. Like he has one of the roughest schedules of the last two years, so out of anyone, probably. I mean, if well, you I think if you look at his his brother, like you know what he's come back from, you know, I I wouldn't put it past him. I think he can come back, but ooh man, pretty rough days. Yeah. What about you, Pico? Any thoughts on him? Um, I mean, it's kind of, yeah, like you said, tentative since that uh, Gunji fight. Yeah. You know, it's understandable Gunji did stuff him, but uh, I don't know. Maybe, should, maybe he should go to more boxing dedicated gym or something. Yeah, I think there's, like, something has to change, uh, either in, in the matchups or, or gym or training-wise. 
because he has all the talent and skills. And if he actually could turn his career around and be the one to beat Gunji or Rusei or um or Mongolishi, I'd be super happy to see that. Because he's so young too. He's what, like in his early 20s? Barely? Are you sure you'd be happy to see someone beat Mongolishi? Uh, as much as I love Mongolishi, if it's Toma, yeah. Uh, Toma, yeah, I mean, I love Mongolishi, but... I, someone who could actually uh, knock people out more frequently would be uh, would be good for me. And the sport. That's kind of the thing about those like fights you proposed, though, is in the abstract, I could see Tomo winning any of those. At this point, I wouldn't pick him, but, you know, if you asked me a year, two years ago, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, he'd, he'd have a chance. And now it's just a, I don't know if it's a bad run of luck or, or what, but yeah, it's, uh, and I think the thing, you know, Crush used to have, uh, you know, Yamazaki would fight there, uh, Noidi in the no Nagoya shows, uh, but now once you've been on, you know, the, the big stage in K1, it's, it's very difficult to, you know, go back, like, what do they do with him? They're already giving him these cross promotional matchups. It's uh it's kinda hard. There's there's not really a back step to take. Yeah, it is difficult because at this point the guys who are on K one they don't seem to be going back down to uh to crush and, and if they do it's very rare. Especially the like games like this. So I don't know. They have to bring someone up from Crush, I guess. Or bring in some other foreigner that they just know he'll smash. But something has to happen. Because I don't think they'll give up on him. Because he's... He kind of has the backing of Masato too. With, uh, with the YouTube thing. They did a couple of years back. I think that pretty much cemented him as one of the next guys to make it. I also think that the featherweight division is like incredibly competitive, you know. Like, if any of the top featherweight guys beat another top featherweight guy, I wouldn't be surprised. You yeah, know, not at all. Could show up and beat Gunji or, you know, Yasumoto could show up and lose to Toma, that kind of stuff. It's, it's in an incredibly competitive division. What I'm saying is Toma should move up to super featherweight. Oof, I don't think I could handle another guy I like at 60. I guess we can talk about two guys who are in featherweights. Uh, maybe one of them could be if he wasn't fat. Uh, Sei Liu and Seiya Tanigawa. Uh, very sad. Very funny. Uh, he Tanigawa just has the house style now. He you know goes in and looks for increasingly shorter periods of time, like he might be able to win the fight, and then just gets knocked out. Yeah, this fight had me thinking, what the fuck? Why did they make this fight? I think it's time for him to stop at this point. It was just, you know, a colossal loss. And he looked just done when he went down. Yeah, I don't know what... Uh, maybe it's the money, but I don't know why he keeps taking these fights. Well, I think because he thinks he can win them, and for the vast majority of them, he, you know, 
the parts of the fight that he remembers are the parts where he is winning. <laughs> Do you think he remembers any of it after that? Oh, I, I think that's what he remembers is, man, I, I was doing so well. And then, you know, uh, hmm. maybe he thinks he gets abducted by aliens. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, big guy punches hard. Could happen to anyone, right? Here's the thing. Every single knockout loss that Sayatani Gawa has suffered lately has been either a right hook or a right straight. So if he could just put his left hand up, it's entirely possible that he starts winning fights. You should, uh, you should tweet him that if he has Twitter. I haven't thought about it, but yeah. Maybe it's just bad defense, which wouldn't be a new thing at that division. Which is particularly bad when you're fighting jacked guys. Well, maybe he should also fight Cena. I think everyone... <laughs> Cruiserweight should just fight Cena next. Have they ever fought before? No, he was too busy fighting the other Iranian. Oh, yeah. Well, make the Cena fight. I'd watch that. I'd, I'd watch Cena fight, fight anything. Right. <laughs> yeah, they really did uh, give him to Satari three times. Wow. It was funny the first two times, so why not make the third fight? <laughs> Makes you wonder, like, what did he do against the, <laughs> the matchmakers? Has he done something to deserve this, or is he just, like, that confident in himself? Refused to go to 75. That's what he did. Yeah. He's, um... I had a friend recently talk to me about, like, do you think a guy who isn't, like, above 190, do you think they could be a heavyweight? And then I could give him this example, but that kind of proves me wrong. Well, there was Mike Tyson. That's, uh, yeah, that's the argument he gave me as well. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'd counter-argue, well, you have Seiya And I reckon there are more Seiya in this world than there are Mike Tysons. Well, there was AG. Who did become champion. Isn't he also pretty tall? Is he? I remember him just being like a short fat dude. Well, um, let's talk about some not tall guys. Uh, Kaneko and uh, Shanteng Lan. Or Lan Shanteng. Whichever way you like it. What do you guys think about that? Ooh. I think Shanteng is, you know, a young guy uh, who showed that he is prototypical uh, Chinese fighter, very strong chin, keeps coming forward, but lost. Um, he, you know, he showed a few things. Uh, I'd like to see him again, but uh, being slotted straight into a, well, not a title fight, a non-title fight with probably at this point, I would say they're maybe their best champion. He was never going to win, but I'd say he acquitted himself okay. I think Shanteng was like a better fighter than an Emre Karacha or like Jordan Swinton. Yeah. Like yeah, think is actually a good Wolin Peng fighter. You know, he's, he did decently on the Chinese scene, won a couple of tournaments. But from the moment this fight was booked, I I mean, it was a big surprise, but I thought that Kaneko would win. And that was basically because uh, Shanteng doesn't have power. 
Yeah, I didn't know much about uh, Shantang before this fight. So I, I expected Kaneko to win. Um, I knew a little from what I heard from you guys. So I knew he wasn't a complete uh, can. But I still expected a KO. And I, I do think even Kaneko expected a KO. So, but I don't know if he does that every time. But he did seem a little bit disappointed after this fight. And his own performance. Well, he, yeah, basically, he I don't think Kaneko can lose the guys who don't have power. Basically, yeah. So, uh, can we talk about the uh, next year's steroid testing? Do we think, <laughs> one, that it's real, and two, that Kaneko stays at 55? Well, Maybe it'll be like their broadcast deals, you know? They say they'll do it, but... <laughs> I think Kaneko yeah, will pass the tests. Missing. Like, the only thing Kaneko is on is, is big frogs. I mean, do they even give any details regarding their anti-doping program? Like, what agency will be doing it? What what list of banned substances there are and stuff like that? Or I don't think they know yet. Nah, it'll all be bullshit. Yeah. If they do anything. Yeah, maybe they'll be just like, a random you know. guy to urine test. Yeah. They'll send a guy every three months and tell you two months in advance. Yeah, we'll send one guy to do a pee test and that's it. If you pass, you're, you're clean. I mean, yeah. even have money for that. <laughs> but it's more about the appearance of doing something rather than doing something. That does seem pretty spot on for Japan, so um, you are probably right. Yeah, I mean, I hope they don't do it. They should just follow Kan Nakamura's advice and let everyone do as much steroids as possible. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's why Khan asked. He wants to be, uh, he wants to have it allowed before he gets caught. All right, so next fight, Peras versus uh, Remy Para. That was a surprising mm. one to me. Yeah, I think uh, I think Leona is just. I don't think he he has the the fire that he once had. He's you know lost a couple of times now, and there was a time in his career when he wouldn't go into the third round and just keep doing what he did the first two rounds. Um, and I think he's had a particularly rough time with injury, but I'm also not sure that the injury really changed anything about the outcome of this fight. He's always been poor at defending leg kicks. Remy Parra just came straight at him, never gave him a moment's, uh, you know, uh, breath. Um, just had the right game plan. It was very sad to see. Um, but also, you know, Leona has met with, uh, Carlos, if we want to keep calling him that, uh, recently. So I guess he's going to have a, a title fight rematch. And uh, I would also sadly expect him to lose that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd probably pick Perez on that. I don't think he's done. I just think he's like super rusty with all the time off. Uh, but then again, you've followed the guy for way longer than I have. Yeah, like, he was running sprints in between classes. Uh, so, like, he took it seriously. He trained as much as he could, but he's also got one foot out of the door. He's looking at his next career. He's, you know, he's got arthritis in his right wrist. He's had four corner fusion, so, like, his wrist bones have been surgically fused together. He had tendon repair. Uh, it, yeah, it's just a list of injuries that you do not want to have in your dominant hand when you're primarily a puncher. 
the surprising thing to me was that just how much uh, he punched with his right hand, like previously in the fights where he's not been able to, you know, throw it like the very frustrating and annoying performance yeah. against Khan Nakamura. Uh, his right was actually probably his best weapon in this fight, but it just wasn't enough and he wasn't active enough. And I think the surprising thing to me was, like, I know he takes cardio very seriously, but uh, he was just getting out of breath. What about oh, you? When the fight got announced, uh, I mean, Petra did seem motivated. He mentioned something about fighting uh, Chan Hyung Lee. Like, he expected to beat Para and was already looking at his next fight. And since uh, Chan Hyung Lee beat Kana Kamura, not Kana Kamura beat Petra, he was like super confident in it. He says, well, you know, the only man who could possibly fight me right now is Chan Hyung Lee. So, you know, I don't. Maybe think it's a lack of motivation. It could be just like a combination of injuries, uh, long layoff, and Remy Parra is actually an elite fighter. He's genuinely very good. So, yeah, you know, better just man into better fighter. That's my opinion here. <laughs> yeah, but like same same here. But also, you know, with, with regards to overlooking him. Uh, like he has kind of an ugly, awkward style, um, but it, it works and he just keeps winning. And I think until you're in the ring with that, the fact that, you know, Leona could not get him off him. And Leona is very unusual in that he's one of the very few people in kickboxing who, you know, it might not be perfect. It might not even be great most of the time, but he's, you know, trying a Philly shell. He's trying things defensively. And all it actually did in this fight was he backed himself into a corner and he evaded a few punches and then took even more, but also was stationary from the waist down, like just getting kicked in the leg continuously. It it just, the style matchup for him did not work. And he's trying to show off like the the uh, defensive evolution that he's, um, you know, tried to work on in his career. And it's just the wrong opponent to do it with. He just needs to get in his face. Yeah, that's what I expected going into this fight. Like the the crashing karate style, just kind of the way you fought Tucker, uh, really. But then, like you said, Parai is just like an awful stylistic matchup because I don't think you can train for a guy like Parai. The style is just so awkward and unconventional. Yeah, I saw somebody call him a shitty Petrosian, and uh, that's. One that's very unflattering, but it's also flattering at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, if they do the rematch, I think that's uh, that's good. I mean, when you make super fights, I think that's the only reasonable option you have after a loss. Like, you have to give the rematch. Yeah. Um, so they kind of dug themselves uh, into a hole with that one. But yeah, if Leona can turn this around, I'd just love for him to win and then retire. Because, um, like you said, he's been injury riddled and he does seem to have other plans. So, just quit at the top, is my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the night that he won that belt, he showed the best and the worst parts of himself, um, but also showed that, you know, he had that veteran savvy. And even with one hand, you know, having a pretty brutal night compared to uh, Asahisa. He still managed to gut it out. He still managed to, you know, get the win. And if that's, you know, if that was the last glory of his career, it was pretty good.
Shintaro Matsukura versus Hasan Toy. Uh, another guy who I guess finally put um, not an end to his career, but kind of finished uh, his goal, if that makes sense, by getting the belt. Yeah, so yeah, another guy who's been around since 2009. Uh, so this one had a weird complexion. Uh, I feel like I felt that Matsukura won the first three rounds and then lost the extension round, but it was just the kind of the K1 thing getting the, the extra round because it's just sort of baked in. Yeah. Yeah, this was, um, it was super fun to watch. Really good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm happy with the decision and I don't know if I would have been happy with it the other way. So I'll, I'll take it. Matsukura's like... I mean, that was the thing, right? There were these uh, reciprocal swings of momentum. And, you know, one guy would have one big uh, shot and the other would have multiple smaller shots and it would just swing back and forth. So, yeah, I guess very hard if you're having to watch it live and not you know, rely on replays and pausing and thinking about it too much. But in the moment, uh, pretty hard to score. Pretty uh, surprising. I think uh, I kind of expected Toy to just walk all over him like he did last time. But yeah, outside of a tournament, things are different. Yeah, if I remember right, like Matsukura just had the better optics in that fight. There was like a brief, brief moment where uh, Matsukura was... It looked like he was landing a flurry of shots to Toy's body, which, you know, looks great to the judges. But when once they showed the replay, basically all the shots landed either on the forearm or, or on the elbows. So I'd say that, yeah, Matsukura won the first three rounds. You know, he didn't dominate, but he appeared to be the better fighter, so to speak. It's kind of cool, too, that, you know, he said before this fight that he doesn't, if, if he can't win the belt, it'll feel like he kind of never finished his career or whatever it's something in the sense of that for and then for him to go on and put on a great performance like this it's just yeah it's, it's awesome it's the kind of uh, story behind fights that i enjoy what do you guys think about him offering the the rematch to toy straight away in the in the post-fight interview i mean what else is he gonna do fight jinbo i don't think he wants to do that <laughs> yeah and why not seems like a great guy and uh, if the rematch is this good, then I don't have any complaints either. I get the feeling they might try and run a 75 kg world tournament in 2024. I wouldn't be opposed to that, I guess, but I do... I mean, there's a lot of uh, those... I feel like these bigger divisions are getting a, a lot of the attention right now, especially on the big cards. So it would be cool if they gave some more to... Uh, well, yeah, swing it back to Kaneko and, and as sad as it is to say, Gunji. And yeah, that would make, make me happy at least. We're even 60. Yeah, they could make Katsuya for the next champ. Okay, so we're at the last fight. Uyang Fang versus uh, Wajima. Very sad. Uh, I love Wajima. Um, and, you know, he looked like he could do it, and he was on the verge of doing it, and then he did not do it. And he, we've seen even in the fights that he wins, he's prone to, you know, getting dropped 
and it's part of the the fun of the guy, right? Like he could theoretically beat many, many, many people in this weight class, but he could also get dropped by Jom Tong. Was a very Wajima fight in that sense. He looks great and then also gets hit a lot. And then previously yeah, has been bailed out by his power, but not this time. Yeah, like, you know, he... I mean, maybe Jomtang is an unflattering uh, thing to say regarding Jomtang, but, like, Wajima is... I've mentioned this before. He has power everywhere. He has dropped people with every single kind of strike. He's not just a puncher, not just a kicker. He's need people, blah, 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 blah. But he also got dropped by Abural. Um so it's, you know, the equation works out to be very fun, but also if you get emotionally invested, then, yeah, he also gets knocked out immediately after facing the first sort of stiff punch of the fight. Yeah, it is a bit sad. I really wanted him to win here and kind of um, cement himself, I guess, as one of the, like, I mean, he still is one of the best 70 kilo guys. Um but, yeah. I don't know what's next for him. The major problem he has is that he basically has no defense. In this fight, he didn't even have, like, a, the most basic guard. He just kind of stood there and tried to avoid things punches. Yeah, he does seem to, like, almost be reaching uh, as a, like sort of uh, MMA guy backing up kind of defense. Yeah, which is fine if you're fighting like, you know, Pikaur, who's uh, kind of washed. Like Jonathan, who probably won't drop you with the first punch, but uh, yeah, I feel like he's been relying on his power to bail him out in basically every fight he's ever had. <laughs> he, I don't think he could make it above this level without any most basic improvement to his defense uh, and uh, as cool and as fun Weird, as it right? is he's you know he's training in thailand quite frequently with really good fighters so there's the problem thailand doesn't have good boxing but also my i, I like from what i heard from his masato interview from his trip in thailand it seemed like he was just getting his ass kicked for the entire trip and i don't know how much um that's going to help you going into a fight like this. I don't know. I feel like he's secretly kind of a funny guy and is maybe overplaying that. Yeah, that could be. And it's kind of what I wanted to say too. Like, he's such a lovable guy and the way he uh, posts pictures of himself kind of ballooning up between fights or, and stuff like that. It's really funny and, and great, but I don't know how seriously he takes training when he posts stuff like that because like i'm not sure if he actually balloons up or if he just takes a funny picture after eating but generally a, a great fighter with a serious training resume wouldn't probably wouldn't do that yeah i mean it is kind of a bit right like he he does take it seriously he is paying money to go train overseas you know they, the close-up they showed of him in the ring, he was crying. It like clearly means a lot to him. But he is also kind of a goofball. Right, so yeah, maybe it's a training problem and yeah, maybe he just has to like train harder. Finish, 
finished uh, an engineering course at the Doda University before he went into kickboxing. So I don't think a guy would give up a career possibly that lucrative and not take his training seriously. Yeah, I mean, taking it seriously is one thing, but actually being able to do it like uh, 100% and be strict about it is different. Well, also, he's, you know, I don't want to call Osaka regional, but, you know, he's not in Tokyo. He's in a weight class where there are not many sparring partners. Uh, the best guy at his gym has a full-time job and comes in at, like, midnight to train on his own and is also, like, 10 kilograms smaller. Like, uh, yeah, just generally in this weight class, I think... Things are just fundamentally, on, uh, you know, on a, a constitutional level, stacked against having international success. Yeah, I could probably take all the all the best seventy kilo guys and put them in one gym, and you'd still be a pretty small gym if you compare it to places like uh, like in Europe or yeah, for that size anyway. Yeah, I, like I've been thinking about this and I, I actually looked at statistics of the average height and weight of people in, in different countries. Uh, but me personally, I think the, you know, the the thickest part of the bell curve in terms of talent in kickboxing in Japan is actually at 55. Um, you know, back in, you know, Masato's days, people ate their way up to 70 because that's where money was and it's just not the case anymore but also you know it skews lighter and it has done for several years now yeah i mean just from personal experience as well being over there and, and training with guys and just like i think there was one guy at our gym that was close to 70 and he was pretty far from being uh, a tall, ripped guy, uh, to put it in those words. So, yeah, I don't know. go to Mike's gym. <laughs> yeah, that would fix his boxing defense fast, or he would die. <laughs> That's also something I'd like to talk about, actually, pretty quick. Um, what do you guys think about the japanese kickboxers going to the u.s to do training camps doesn't that seem like a bit of a weird place to go to train for kickboxing well i think you're talking about yosa right and he's doing it because takaru did it yeah so those two are who i'm talking about oh well also kana that's i guess uh i'm being unfair but yeah it's not exactly uh you know mecca of kickboxing um, I think Yoza is a guy who is motivated by, um, you know, he, he had these accomplishments very early in his career and then his career got derailed by political meddling. And yeah, he seems a bit of a free spirit, like paid to go to Holland on his own, uh, now is not fought for some time, needs to crowdfund this stuff. I also think, you know, he seems to have problems with his promoter, but also, as as we've mentioned previously already, kind of a low information space. Um, and the you know firsthand information that he gets, because you know we've uh, 
you have to consider that the vast majority of his training is running on his own or training in a, a regional karate gym. Um, so the only like big time fighters that he uh, converses with are Noidi, Takaru, guys who are the, either trained or, f or fought abroad. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, I think he'll be disappointed. Yeah, I'd uh, much rather see him go back to, to Holland. I think he would gain more from that. Or even, you know, even that's, yeah, Thailand even would be good. Like, or I better. think that would be, that would be ideal for him, get a different look. And it's cheaper. Yeah, especially if the rumors are true and uh, Gonopar is coming back. I think he's been coming back for like two years now. Yeah, there have been rumors, but I saw a tweet recently, so it has to be true. Absolutely. I mean, uh, did he say he was coming back to K1 or was he coming back to fighting? Oof. I think it was just a fight. Yeah, it might have been just the fighting. I think uh, someone posted in the Beyond Kickboxing Discord and it was like some screenshot of him commenting to a fan on Instagram. I recall it being K1, but it might not have been K1. It might have just been fighting overall. Yeah, might not even be kickboxing. Yeah, and uh, it might not even be true. I was under the impression he had some kind of illness. Could be. Um, well, I haven't heard anything of it. I haven't looked into it either, so... Yeah, I mean, he would be welcome back, but uh, it's when when did he last fight at this point? Like nearly two years right, ago? Right. Yeah. So it... knocked out Taito Shiratori at the match, I think that was his last fight. Yeah. Do we know if Yamasaki retired yet? Did he officially retire or is he just not fighting? I think he's just not fighting anymore. He's like a coach or something. He had some kind of in-ring speech at an event and talked about his next fight. Uh, and then his next fight just didn't happen. So whether that is just, you know, chaos at K1 or uh, he's decided not to, who knows? There is one thing I want to talk about. The biggest story of the year. Um, a man I have investigated quite thoroughly, probably only second to Leona Pettis. All right. Adam Buaruru. Oh, yeah. And so he... Uh, his career is in what he calls pause mode, but prior to that, he uh, claims to have won a tournament, um, which he, you know, this is a guy who has posted videos of every single training session he's ever had, every, you know, fight he's ever had multiple times, and said that he didn't post any pictures or video of this because of jealous people. He referred to them as the jealous, and uh, posted a very, very obviously photoshopped um, image in black and white saying that he won this belt uh, from this weird organization which did not hold an event on the day that he said he won it um, but they do have a page about him which is written in the exact same style as all of the posts he has ever made about himself which is just that it says Adam the best Buaruru and has a bunch of like accolades and it, it's very clear that he just like paid for this i thought it was very funny and it didn't you know have the intended effect nobody booked him and now he works in a warehouse he only had like one loss on his record or something well i think uh of all the people trained by their father in 
the children's playroom of an apartment complex in Morocco. He is probably the best. Okay, we're going to do like Boruri did with his career and then wrap it up. Thanks a lot to Dogman and Pico. Um, then make sure you check out Dogman's podcast and uh, go read Pico's articles on Beyond Kickboxing. See you guys next time.